Yo, yo, yo. No, I'm playing. <laughs> What's up? What's good, Shawty? I'm back. It's I've Got Questions. We are back. New episode. How y'all doing out there? How you feeling? Um, before we start, really, I want to get into one commercial break, and then I'll be right back to officially start. 30 seconds in, 30 seconds out. All right, guys, and we are officially back. How are y'all doing? How y'all feeling? A lot of things going on in the news. A lot of things going on in life. I know we're all going through a bunch of things. There's a bunch of things going on. Excuse me. Moving my microphone around. Um, I went on a date last week. I don't even really want to call it that, but I guess by technical terms we were two people who didn't know each other and then we went out so technical or technically it was a date um but it wasn't i knew (laughs) i knew going forward i was not um or i knew going even before the date that i just no it wasn't gonna be something that would continue but i still went um because um I don't know. I should. I don't know. I guess I should have maybe decided not to go, but I did. I just I went, and um, I went to an actual a drive-in movie theater, which is so sixties of of me, right? <laughs> but I, I didn't have a convertible or, or a drop top, and plus it's hot as hell in Georgia right now. It's hot as hell around the world, and we're gonna get into that a little later. Um. But yeah, it, it wasn't, um, I already knew that I wasn't going to like this person. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, the person was just a little bit off to me anyway. Like the week before, they weren't even near me or around me, and they, um, they wanted to touch my hair. They asked me before they even met me in person, can they touch my hair? And I just found that weird and like <laughs> creepy a little bit. But, you know, people are who they are. Hey, I am who I am, and probably people think I'm weird. So, you know, I wasn't like, oh, I'm not going to go out on a date with you because you want to touch my hair. Um, my hair is luxurious. It's, it's glorious. <laughs> you know, I've been growing it for a few years. I take care of it um, for the most part. You know, I don't get it retwisted as, as much as some of you do, but I heard that retwisting is not good for your hair, so... That's why I don't. Um, but on to the date. Um, what movie did we see? We saw a, a Black Phone. That was a new movie that just came out. And surprisingly, um, and I think I talked about um, human trafficking last, last episode. Um, but surprisingly, the movie, I thought it was going to not be great. It was really, really good to me. But then again... <laughs> okay, so... This person knew that I had smoked weed and I, that I hadn't smoked weed in some time. And um, they actually brought some edible marijuana, which they had shown me uh, the week before that they were coming. They don't, they don't really uh, smoke or do any of that uh, or you know, partake in marijuana. And um, they had bought some from New York. And um, they were like, you know, that you know, if I wanted to try it, then I could. And I was like, all right, so fast forward, or fast forward, but also go backwards. I had went to a barbecue, 
And um, I think I told y'all about this barbecue um, last episode where the people were forcing food um, upon me as the vegan, even though they were only giving me, um, I think it was beans and um, corn. And they were like, oh, it's not vegan enough. You know, you can listen to the last episode for that. Um, and I was like, you know, what does that even mean? Like, I'm, I'm not saying it's not vegan enough. I just don't want beans and corn. But like I said, you can listen to the last episode for that. Um, so at that party or that gathering, because it wasn't much of a party. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't really a party. Everyone was just sitting around, <laughs> you know, and just kind of like hot. And, um, you know, this heat is taking people out. I tell you, it makes them feel whatever. But um, so at this gathering, this person had a brownie um, and not the same person a friend of mine, they had a brownie that had CBD and THC. So I ate that thing, and I'm like, I don't even feel nothing. So fast forward now to the date. And um, this person brought this, you know, the, this uh, edible marijuana. And I had never had edible marijuana, but I'm thinking there's no, you know, real edible marijuana. You know, and the, the person wasn't really educated on uh, edible marijuana or marijuana period allegedly Cause you know you know how people are always like oh I don't I don't do anything I don't I don't I don't have sex I, but they always talk about like this person always talks about sex right and I was just like we're not having sex like several times they just bring up sex and they're always talking about and it, it just really kind of threw me off about them anyway um because people want me to put that thing on them now I'm telling you, <laughs> they really, really do. But, um, you know, I'm just like in a different space right now. Like, I really want something more passionate in my life. But anyway, um, so the edible marijuana. So I'm looking at this thing like it's blue, first of all. So I'm like, this is like some candy shit, whatever. I pick up a whole nugget and I'm like, you know. I asked the person, which I don't know why I asked them, and um, they were like, you know, I think that you, you, you could probably eat that because, you, you know, you, your tolerance is high from smoking marijuana, period. So I'm like, yeah, that makes kind of sense. And let me tell you, I ate this nugget of marijuana or edible marijuana in, in about 40, 30 to 40 minutes. Let me tell y'all, I couldn't feel nothing. I'm, I'm just thinking about it in my head, how, how truly I was really incapacitated and I was so embarrassed. Like, and when I tell you, I even said, I'm so embarrassed because, yeah, like my head could move and things of that nature, but my body was like, yeah, you're stuck. You're not moving. And I didn't want to move. And um, the person was just trying to hold my hand and I, I held their hand because I had nothing else. I, <laughs> I literally had nothing else, like, not to do. Like, I'm watching a movie, so it was just, like, nothing. I could feel nothing else. I didn't, I didn't need nothing. Uh, like, I, I drink water, whatever. And then I had to go eat. That's what, what happened after, like. So, watching this movie, the movie was really good, or maybe it wasn't. But I thought the movie was really good. Um, I think Ethan Hawke is in it. And um, the kid who played in the, he was a really great actor. 
Um, so if you do get a chance, go see Black Phone because I thought it was really, really good. And it does um, hit or hit at the, the human trafficking or kidnappings that happen so much. And the way that it happened was just, um, you know, you hear about these stories about kids going missing and it happened so quickly. And um, it's a really interesting story how the ghosts of the people that the person was killing, um, they helped the, the current kid out of the situation in a way. Um, and I'm not giving anything away. I, think, I believe that's in the trailer. So, But the trailer made it seem to me like it was like some maybe a little kitty, but really the movie was not kitty at all, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. So uh, go see Black Phone. And then after the movie, I had to eat like a motherfucker. And when I tell you I ate, um, I forget what I ate now. I don't know what I ate, but I know I ate something, and I gobbled it down, and then I was fine. Um, and usually if, if you know, someone go, uh, goes through kind of like a, a bad trip, you know, not that I really, really had a bad trip. I guess I kind of did because I, I really, <laughs> I let someone else drive my car. <laughs> so I guess I kind of had a bad trip, but um, it wasn't really a bad trip. Like I wasn't like spaced out where I couldn't, I, I couldn't function or, you know, someone wanted to take advantage of me, that would have happened. I was very much uh, alert and, um, but I just did not want to drive. So I definitely, excuse me, um, I definitely had some something to eat, and then I woke back up and I was able to drive literally um, two hours after the movie. So, excuse me, I'm having some um, some gas here. I had some coffee, some coffee to wake up. Because, um, you know, I want to be alert for you guys when I get on here because we got a lot of things to talk about. Um, so that was a date, and literally the person and I, um, I guess, they kind of felt like I was leaning towards the friend kind of thing because that's what I really saw. <laughs> and they texted me and asked me, and I was like, yeah, actually, I, I do think um, we should just be friends. <laughs> and it was the whole thing. Um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes small people try to insult you, but it was laughable to me um, how that person did try to, to insult me and you must always, um, and my therapist taught me this, you must always consider the source. You really do. Um, when people are, my mouth is so watery. It's like Wendy Williams right now when she sees food. My mouth is so watery right now. And all I had was coffee. Well, I did eat before. I usually don't eat before, but I decided to wake up and make me some, um, and you know I'm a vegan, so um, if you don't know, I am a vegan. And um, I made me some vegan eggs. I hate that I always have to say vegan, but I made some eggs and some sausage with cheese and a wrap and all that. It was really, really good. And um, I actually put some jerk seasoning on the sausage. It was a little different. But, um, yeah, I don't know why my mouth is watering. But um, maybe because it's juicy. You know, I got these juicy lips. <laughs> but, okay, you know, we, don't, we, don't, we can't spend more time because, you know, this show could run a little long for us, and um, because I go, I'm a very thorough per person, I should say. Um, I have my tabs pulled up. It is time to get into this. There was another mass shooting. <coughs> Excuse me, and I'm sorry about that. If you're listening with headphones, that was probably pretty loud, but hopefully you woke up. 
and you're with me. There was another mass shooting in America, another active shooting moment or active shooter moment that was actually foiled by a good Samaritan who had his own legal firearm on him and he was able to stop the shooter. Uh, before he, he uh, did even more damage that uh, you know, we would probably be talking about today. Um, this goes to highlight that, you know, we, we do have an issue with guns in this country, but when we get to the point where we don't want anyone having guns, you know, there's going to be people with guns, period. You know, there's always going to be guns in this country. This country is full, full of guns. There's guns everywhere. There's ghost guns. There's guns that people can make with computers now and that no one knows about. So <clears throat> I really think that, you know, we need to, to also look at this kind of instance and really think about how a good Samaritan was there at the time and stopped this shooting before it got any further. So let's get into it. Let's hope that we are volumed up. And that we are ready to go. I've got my, my two laptops ready. And um, it's time. I've got questions. What's playing here? Something was playing in my background. Sorry about that, y'all. I got all my tabs ready for y'all. And some of them were playing in the background. Um, okay, that's not what uh, I wanted to happen here. Let me try to get back to my story. Um, all right, here we go. And I got all my stories, uh, pretty much, if you can see. One day, um, like I told you, I'll be bringing this to a video form sometime in the future. I don't know when. Because um, it's a lot. <laughs> this is a lot to always do. Getting this together itself is a lot for me. Um, like right now, I can tell you I have one, two, three, four, five, six, Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven tabs open and ready for us to get through and talk about. Um so you know what I think I'm gonna do is take a, another break really quick, and then we're gonna get into the news. So I can put these uh, paid segments in so y'all can listen to those and hopefully um, something great comes from that, from uh, y'all listening to those. We're going to get right into the news right after this. We're going to talk about the Greenwood shooting, a few things that I have to say about that, and um, I'll be right back. All right, y'all, welcome back. It's I've Got Questions. Let's get right into the Greenwood Park Mall shooting. This is the timeline of the alleged shooter, as they call it, um, who is a, as most mass murderers and shooters are, a young white male um, who apparently, uh, I heard a little bit of his story. He was fired from his job. His family was going to kick him out um, of his house, and uh, he decided that killing people was the way. You know, I don't know how you get there. I don't know how you could think that, you know, your world is going bad. 
So let's take out some other people. Let's make some other people's lives horrible and then um, die if I get to die or become famous. Really, this thing is really about these people becoming famous. You know, um, if you hear in the news right now, the uh, Parkland shooting trial is going on and there's a, um, you know, they're talking about killing or uh, sentencing him to death or life in, in prison. And I just kind of feel like, you know, why are our tax dollars going to fund this young monster, you know, in, in prison for the rest of his life with food and, and, and shelter and probably TV and, and letters from morons that think he's uh, great, you know, and, and other mass shooters, you know, I think you set the tone at this point. You know, like I said, there is a battle between good and evil and just because, you know, I guess killing is bad, you know, doesn't mean that, um, you know, in this case, the death sentence is not, I don't think it's bad at all. Um, I don't think that we should be paying for him to stay alive. Um, you know, at a certain point, I think if you're going to get a uh, life without parole, let's put him in, you know, a cave. Let him figure out how to live. Let him... You know, is that is that horrible? I guess that would be horrible. But what he did was horrible. But whatever. I don't think that we should be supporting this guy. Uh, I think his name is Nicholas Cruz, who did the Parkland shooting. Um, if you look that up, let me see before I get the wrong name, because Nicholas Cruz is a person. Um, yeah, Nicholas Cruz. There's so many of these shooters that you know. But I was listening to the story and, and actually listening to some of the, the testimony. It's really horrible. It's really, really, really horrible. Um, but let's get into this Greenwood uh, Park Mall shooting timeline. Taken the case. We're talking more about the suspect now with Fox 59's Russ McQuaid, who's been following this shooting since the beginning. He joins us live now with a look at what we're learning about Jonathan Sapperman. Russ, we learned today that this situation uh, ended more quickly than we originally thought. You know, that's what happens in situations like this, which folks don't understand, is sometimes with well-intentioned witnesses and officials come out with information that isn't always totally accurate. If there's no intention to mislead, it just sometimes takes a couple days to straighten out the information we're receiving. A 20-year-old Jonathan Sapperman was estranged from his family, and he didn't seem to leave a lot of traces either in life or in his social media community. And that's why investigators are having such a hard time pinning down a motive for murder. <clears throat> and just talking about that, um, talking about social media and whatnot, um, this guy, Nicholas Cruz, who did the Parkland shooting, he actually, um, I think three days before he did that shooting, he actually was on his phone talking about, I'm Nicholas Cruz, I'm going to go kill, which, uh, you know, <clears throat> talks about how mental health, they're trying to use mental health as, and that's the thing, uh, too, with how these people are trying to use mental health as uh, a way to live and stay in jail or prison for the rest of their life. You know, if you were going to have a mental health break, it, it would more than likely be at that moment and then you went and did something. Not that you were three days before saying, I'm going to go do something, and then you waited three days and then did it. Um, 
So as we talk more about this new shooter, who I did not get his name just now, um, he, he seemed to be going through a lot. And um, like I said, I don't think there's any excuse for, for him to have to go and, and go to a mall and go to a mall food court and go, and go, and go kill people. He did kill people. Uh, he killed three people. So, yeah. Police say Sapperman quit his job in May. Oh, he quit. Chasing eviction from the nearby Polo Run apartments and didn't have a car. So he likely walked a few blocks to the Greenwood Park Mall carrying three guns in a backpack <laughs> where he carried out a murderous rampage Sunday night. From what I understand, he went into the mall carrying a, a backpack and he could easily conceal uh, two rifles in a backpack. Not if they were fully assembled, but by taking the barrel off, collapsing the stock, uh, it'd be it'd be very easy to. <clears throat> yeah, you know what? Some of these, because I'm I'm trying to think, you know, how big is this backpack? Because I I have rifles and things of that nature. Um, but I guess if you really were to take them apart, they said that he was, and and I guess I'll say it. I I was I did a little research about this. Um, they said that he was in a bathroom for about an hour before he actually did the shooting. So I guess you would be able to, to take that time to put these things together because um, the rifles I have, they're, they're large. You know what I mean? They're long, I should say. They're long rifles. That's what the LR means. 22 LR means long rifle. And um, the things that they, these guys have are, they have ARs. Um, they are still rifles, but they are AR rifles and they shoot very, very quickly in, um, you know, they're made to kill. Um, these are <clears throat> guns of war, um, or whatever you want to say, or put them towards. Um, what I have are more, you know, what you would think about with hunting uh, and, and whatnot. Um, what these guys have are, you know, it's wartime. And um, unfortunately, I guess we'll never know the thinking of this, this, this person or, you know, I'm sure that they'll do a lot of digging to really see uh, mentally what, what went on here. But um, once they're gone, it's really hard to, to, to say anyway. Photograph of three guns from a social media account that may be connected to Saperman. Investigators have this information too, and a gun store specialist told us that the weapons in the photo do match the kinds of firearms. Greenwood Police Chief James Eisen told us Saperman carried into the mall Sunday when he disappeared into a restroom for more than an hour before he emerged shooting. He could you know, go into the uh, restroom, uh, pull the, pull the uh, two, two or three pieces out of the uh, backpack, put together, and I would say less than a minute. Yeah. The map shows the layout of the mall food court. Restrooms in the lower right corner. A lot of, if you actually go on YouTube, there's a bunch of uh, different gun channels. Um, I wanted to tell you, Bucky, I think Bucky223, he's a, um, he's a black uh, gun channel person. Um, and just, I'm saying this for reference so you can see how quickly uh, putting these guns together could really be um, a matter of a minute or so to really put together a, a complete rifle. Um, it's not hard to do. They just literally lock in place and you have what happened. And at the top of the sketch, that's Blondie's cookies, where 
22-year-old Eli Dickin was standing with his own gun and opened fire from a distance estimated at perhaps 30 yards. Mm. Go ahead, boy. An attorney who has okay, 30 yards is pretty, um, that's pretty accurate. Um, if he, especially if he's using, more than likely the guy had a, a pistol, the Good Samaritan. He more than likely had a pistol because, you know, the good people aren't carrying around rifles um, on their hips or, you know, on their body, usually. Um, you know, so 30 yards is, is a pretty good, I, I can I can hit 30 yards with a pistol. Um, you know, I, I go to the range and stuff like that, and I, I can set my target back at 30 yards and definitely hit. Um, so that's amazing that he was there, and luckily he was there. Justin Sapperman told us the killings, quote, shocked the family as much as anyone else, and that her client was, quote, pretty upset. He never saw this coming, and he is, quote, grieving over losing a family member. Now we've seen other photographs on social media that seem to portray Sapperman displaying a gun, perhaps even sending a farewell message the afternoon of the shootings. We're aware that investigators are also attempting to confirm that those counts do indeed originate with Sapperman. Meanwhile, we know that a subpoena has been served on a Greenwood gun store and shooting range for evidence of Sapperman's visits to those locations. We sought a request for information and feedback on those subpoenas from the corporate offices. We're still waiting for that response. All right. Um, let's get into this one. Just want to know. That's that's insane. If you when you really think about it, you know what I mean. Um, that's some. First of all, it's some great judgment by that that good Samaritan to. Um, and I and I told you guys I, I went to an active shooter uh, demonstration some weeks back, and um, you don't have the time to really be like, oh my god. You know what I mean? In these moments, and I'm going to play another clip about um, staying ready. Um, you really, everyone's different, and you don't know what's going to happen into that moment. Hell, if I'm in those moments, I don't, you know, I, I'm going to hope that I'm able to help right away. You know what I mean? Um, but sometimes there are times when, you know, something's really loud and it could mess with your ears, throw you off and, and you, you're disoriented. And you think about 15 seconds from the, the moment it started and they must have this timeline and it must be correct because they, they have a video. Um, 15 seconds from when he started and then from when he died or was taken out. That's, that's you know, that's nothing, you know, that's, Wow. In fact, in just the short time I've been talking to you, Eli Dickin pulled a gun, took aim, and took out the threat. It's a fact survivors of Sunday shooting are not taking lightly. I find him to be an absolute hero. I cannot believe it. Can you believe there was an armed citizen there? I feel sorry for the guy that shot the guy. You know, I mean, he's got to live with that for the rest of his life. Yeah, and that's another thing. That's not, that's not easy, you know. Um, To shoot someone 
and kill them. It, it must be hard, you know what I mean? And like I said, good must fight evil, but it will always live with you, you know what I mean? Especially uh, something like this where it's in the news and it's running 24 hours a day. Um, you know, I, like, like even a home invasion, I, I think I would have to move if I killed someone in my house or, you know what I mean, someone broke into my house and I killed them. Because that lives with you. It's not easy. That's not something like, oh, hip-hop array. Like, no, you wouldn't be, you know, after you, you probably would be like, I'm happy I was there to help. But PTSD is real. And, um, you know, this guy that, that saved these people, he has to now live with the fact that when he goes out, to a mall. This, this, this is actually why I don't go to malls. I don't go to a lot of large places where people are and these kind of things could happen because um, it's terrifying, you know, that these people are out here and you're just trying to live. You're just trying to go shopping. These people were at the food court eating before they went home. The mall was closing at 6 o'clock. He started at 6.05. You know, here are people who are just trying to be happy and be around their friends, family, whatever, going through whatever they're going through, and then a shooting, you know? And um, within 15 seconds, all this happened, but this guy who, who did it or who, who saved many more people, he has to now live with that. And um, I hope that he can get the help that he needs to, to live with it. God damn! Okay. <laughs> that boy had a trigger finger, but I tell you, to hit him eight times from forty yards away—that's that's some good shooting. That's some good shooting. When I tell you, that's some good shooting. Forty yards away. And eight times, and I don't think he hit. I, I would hope that he didn't hit anyone else. Um, wow, wow. So tonight, Lauren Costa joins us live from the newsroom to put all of this in perspective. Lauren? Yes, Scott, and those numbers are impressive. Many gun experts we spoke with tonight who say it's not just the time that's notable, but also the distance. Right. Mm -hmm. A newly released timeline from Greenwood Police shows 22-year-old Eli Dickens took the suspect down within 15 seconds of the shooter opening fire on the food court. Despite standing about 40 yards away, mm. he was still able to hit the shooter eight times. Mm. It's something Mark Welter with Indie Arms says isn't impossible, mm -mm. but does take a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. And you remember, you got to draw. So you have to actually pull it out from the holster. I use the holster, and 
I really do uh, implore many people to use a holster. I don't, I don't walk around without a holster at all. I, and, and that also shows that you do have um, respect for your, your weapon and respect. Uh, I think even when you have a holster, it can show that um, you know, you're not j just quick to pull out your gun, like you, you know, to unholster your gun. And I usually uh, use an in waistband um, uh, holster, which is more concealing, um, to, to draw your weapon and pull it out and then shoot all within, I'm sure that wasn't within 15 seconds, but to do it then within 15 seconds and 40 yards, 40 yards is pretty far away. Um, but this guy must be, it must have been, and that's why I tell y'all to, to go to the ranges and start getting it right because um, we're going to need everyone to be on hand. We really do. There really is no other way to put it. Um, everyone is, is definitely um, lucky that that man was there, and I do applaud him. So um, definitely show appreciation to him and um, to people who, who do carry, you know what I mean? Um, there's a lot of us, and um, a lot of us don't mean harm. A lot of us are, you know, protecting ourselves and, and need be uh, protecting each other. It's become an almost familiar scene of evacuation in America. So we were in the food court and um, we heard loud gunshots. As Indiana shopping mall quickly became among the latest settings for a mass shooting. Thank you, Mayor. Monday, the police chief announced the identity of the suspected gunman, 20-year-old Jonathan Sapirman. Police say entered the mall Sunday at 4.54 p.m. He walks directly to later, he exits the restroom and shoots Victor Gomez outside of the restroom. He then points his rifle into the food court where Pedro and Rosa Pineda were eating dinner and shot both Rosa and Pedro. According to police, Sapirman shot and killed three people Sunday evening using a rifle. Victor Gomez, Rosa Rivera, and Pedro Pineda. Police say he injured at least two Thousand to 
one of those, just 22 ended with an armed bystander shooting the attacker. And of those 22, 10 were from a security guard or off-duty officer. Countrywide this year, there have already been more than 350 mass shootings where four or more people were shot, according to the Gun Violence Archive. This one, like many do, striking at the core of normalcy. It's like one of those things where this is supposed to be fun. You're supposed to be going shopping. Right. And, um, I mean, what do you say? You know, it's just horrible to really think about. Um, what do you say? It's, 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 it's emotional. You don't know when it's going to be you. You don't know when it's going to be a family member. You don't know when it's going to be your friends who just went out to go eat. And this is where we are. Just heard from someone who has firsthand experience being in that food court and seeing the shooting, running quickly for cover. Some had gone to Macy's, others jumped into other stores throughout the mall. And today, retired FBI agent told us the time is now. We need to prepare ourselves here for a response to a mass shooter. By the way, I, I want to go on record, <laughs> not tooting my horn, but I've been saying this since you've been listening to me. Um, we need to be prepared. We need to... It's a sad day, but we cannot let these people kill the amount of people that they kill anymore. We cannot. They come out, they start shooting, you attack. That's it. There's nothing else to think about. You attack them. There's nothing else to think about. I mean, if you can get away, get away. But if you are near them, you can't, you can't think about anything else. You have to think about the fact that you may get hit. Bullets and the type of bullets that these people are using, the type of guns that they're using, you have to stop them right away. There's nothing else to do. Shooter, and also in the midst of gunfire, what that may look like. Fox 59's Courtney Crown explained several actions that you and your family can take now that could potentially save your life. The former FBI agent we spoke with says every person needs to stay mentally prepared and have a plan every time they right. go to a public place. This includes knowing where you're going if an active shooter enters the scene. I just looked at my kids and I told them, come on, let's go. And we started running. Lives changed forever last night during the mass shooting inside the Greenwood Park Mall. Innocent shoppers found themselves in the middle of a nightmare when gunfire erupted inside the building. My guys all hit the deck. I was walking to the back, taking the money back to the end of the day. And my dad grabbed me by my arm and we ran to the nearest store we can. In the midst of a shooting, find a... Ooh, I mean, I'm just going to say, like, I, you know, I, I used to work in a mall some years ago and... um. It's, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking the sound, you know what I mean? The sound alone, especially when you're about to close up, how, how kind of like quiet it could be, but not. And then, like the guy was saying, he was putting the money away. And, you know, I used to do that myself, put money away and go count money. It's just, it's just horrible. You know what I mean? You can't even go to work anymore. A place to hide. 
That's one piece of advice from former FBI agent Paul Keenan. You should really start thinking about places I could go if something happens to cover concealment. Where can I hide? Where is a good place that may afford me some protection from oncoming rounds if it comes to that? Keenan says people have to mentally prepare for an active shooter situation. This includes knowing your exits, and if you run into a room, lock and barricade the door. If the shooter enters, fight. Whatever is in that room, use it as a weapon. Or if you, if you have no weapons, you're going to have to try and take down this guy yourself. If you have to fight, target the soft areas of the body. You would go after the eyes, you would go after the throat, you would go after the groin. Keenan says we need to be on alert anytime we're out in public. Get as much distance between yourself and the shooter and know where you're going if the unimaginable happens. What you do matters. It can save your life. We will include all of these tips. Yeah, I mean, like I said, um, we just have to be ready. And like they said, um, you look at soft areas where to hit. Um, definitely the eyes, definitely the neck. You do want to um, hard hit in the neck. <laughs> you can't stop that. You know, a kick in the shin, that shit hurts. There's no, you know, most of these people, they usually are not wearing body protection, um, you know, um, you know, like bulletproof vests and things of that nature, they're usually going into this probably ready to die and ready to, they think, become famous. Um, so yeah, the neck, the eyes, the knee, the front of the, uh, you know, the, your shin, you know, you've hit your shin before, that shit hurts and it takes you out. Um, you know, the temple, um, a hard hit in the nose. Those things are where, those places are where you want to hit someone. Um, if you have a sharp object to stab in the neck, um, the hands, anything, anything to disable these people. And if they are wearing, and, and, and that's why, you know, if you are in a situation and you, you know, are facing a, a mass shooter and um, you have a firearm, you know, you have to aim for where you're going to take them out um, because these people are dangerous and they, and they will get back up. Um, it's just a lot going on. And, and I, just really, I just really hope that one day we could, um, I don't even know what we're going to do. Because at this point, at this point, there's, there's no turning back. You know, the gun laws are hard they are. People believe what they, they think about guns and, and whatnot. And, um, no, I don't think that guns should be banned. I really don't, even with these things going on. Um, unfortunately, we have entire forces of people who also have guns and a lot of the times don't do the right things with guns. And um, I think that, if anything, we need to really look at people who, you know, my thing is these, these FBI, these government people, they know who is looking up mass shootings, right? I'm sure if, if you look up my file in the FBI or whatever, you know, because I believe that they, they profile all of us, right? And, and that's what the, um, after 9-11, they were able to really um, 
look at us and, and surveil us anyway, right? So we know 100% that they are surveilling us as Americans. And that's my issue, is that they know about these things. Like, like, like I said, they know about the January 6th attack, uh, the, the insurrection where, you know, all these terrorists attacked America and they all got away with it. And I wouldn't be surprised if this guy who did the, the mass shooting in Green, Greenwood went or supported it. You know, these people leave traces of evil everywhere. So they know when people are looking these things up, are really liking a lot of these shooters and mass shooters and whatnot. So they know. And um, my thing is, is, you know, when we talk about removing guns from certain people, y'all know. You know what I mean? We know that there's people out there who look these things up and idolize these shooters. Um, you talk about Nicholas Cruz, that video, um, you know, I don't even think I need to play it for you. He literally said, I'm going to be the next mass shooter in America three days before he did it. You know? So they know, and, you know, I, I think that they don't bring it out because um, then they would really look bad of how they surveil us. But um, they know. And there's, there's more that must be done at this point because we shouldn't be having such a fear to go to the mall. We, haven't, we shouldn't have a fear to go to a carnival and you know, things of that nature. I, w I, I, I can't see myself going to a carnival in Georgia. You know, everyone already has guns, every single person. The, the guns, uh, the grandmas, grandpas, the mailman, everybody has guns in Georgia. And legally, you know what I mean? But then the people who can't stand that people are integrating, people are happy, you know, racially that people get along and, and that black people are living freely, you know, those people are out there and we don't know who they are or what the, you know, what they look like. And that's the biggest fear um, for a lot of people. And um, yeah, I'll be right back. All right, and we're back. Um, sorry for the many breaks this time around. I'm not, I'm not doing too well physically. Um, it's a lot of pain today, or the last few days, really. Um, I was in an accident some time ago, and uh, I've yet to recover. And some time ago, it wasn't like, you know, last month or anything. I was, it was uh, three years ago almost at this point. And uh, it's crazy how the body is, man. It really does. Um, but one thing about bodies and talking about bodies is, um, you know, we're still talking about Roe versus Wade being uh, overturned. And um, I do want to talk about uh, how abortion bans make inequality worse. Imagine two similar women who each have unwanted pregnancies. They both go to abortion clinics. One has a pregnancy that's just days before the clinic's gestational limit, and the other is just days past the limit. So one of them receives an abortion, and the other is turned away. 
Their different life trajectories after that might not tell you a lot on their own. But if you were to track this scenario for hundreds of women, you could gather a lot of data on what life looks like after women are denied an abortion. This was the concept for a huge naturalized experiment in the U.S. that tracked this for the first time. For five years, every six months, researchers called the women to see how their lives had progressed. And one of the things their research uncovered was the financial impact of forced parenthood. What they heard from these calls reveals the high economic cost of an abortion ban, and exactly who is made to bear that cost. Hello. There's no way that you don't have a child and love and want that child, and I very much feel that way about my son. But that isn't that isn't how we began. I felt like I was drowning and had zero control over my life, and having abortion felt like reaching out for air. The voices you hear in this video weren't part of the study, but their stories overlap with some of its findings. I was six months along, and so like at that point, I had to carry to term. There wasn't a choice of, am I going to give birth or not? I've actually made that decision twice in life. For me, they both felt pretty easy right away. Roughly 60% of women in the study and abortion seekers in the U.S. are already parents. Abortion seekers in the study, and more broadly, are much more likely to be a person of color when compared to the general population, and are almost four times as likely to live in poverty. And that can be about who has access to contraception, who has had great sex ed classes, who can negotiate contraceptive use with a partner, and it's also about who can accommodate and, and, and that's important, um, especially for women um, who can negotiate. Uh, I think I forget what she said exactly word wise uh, with like condoms and, and whatnot. Um, you know, a lot of guys who don't want to wear condoms will put a relationship on the line over condoms and, and uh sometimes a, a woman's insecurity may affect their choice and whether or not they do force that man to wear a condom because they don't want to not be with that person. And um, that's a lot, you know what I mean? And then, then here you come with uh, getting pregnant and then wanting an abortion or having that baby and... Um, if you do it alone, that pressure is even more overwhelming. Surprise pregnancy. Diana Green Foster is a demographer who led the study, which she calls the turnaway study. Among all women in the study, there are three groups we'll focus on. One group was women who got an abortion in the first 13 weeks of pregnancy, the first trimester. This stage of pregnancy is when about 90% of abortions in the U.S. happen in the general population. But for the study, it was underrepresented and used as a control group for this group, women who got abortions within two weeks of an abortion clinic's gestational limit, which averaged at the 20-week mark. This later abortion group is a less common abortion experience in the U.S. But for the purposes of the study, it was overrepresented. In order to compare to this third group, women who just barely missed the gestational limit and were denied an abortion. This last group is called the turnaway group. 
The Turnaway study hinges on comparing the outcomes of these two groups. The comparing the two groups of women who sought later term abortions to the first trimester group can tell us something too. 40% of the first trimester group were living under the poverty line, but 57% of the later term abortion group were. Lack of money slows people down and prevents them from moving as quickly to getting an abortion. Wealthy women have unwanted pregnancies, they're more likely to get their abortion, and that's because they can afford to do it. They can travel, they can pay for the procedure, they can get time off work. In fact, when women in the study were surveyed about their motivations for wanting an abortion, not financially prepared was the most common response. What was going on in your life when you had an unplanned pregnancy? We were barely able to scrape by at that point, and there was just not enough money. The financial situation was like a really big deciding factor for me. I just graduated from undergrad. I was doing an unpaid fellowship. We live in Bay Area. You definitely need a dual-income household to be able to live well, so we were not okay financially because of my uh, documentation process. I couldn't legally work. I was just starting my professional career. And I, and I guess like a lot of people, for a lot of people, they would just say easily because, you know, it's just easy to just say what you want. Why have a baby? You know, why not not have a baby? Or I guess in the why? I, I guess why are you having sex even? Or why are you not having wearing condoms? Um, and condoms are not 100% effective, you know. Um, and you got to think about if you are, and, and I've raised this question to some people about, you know, these uh, people who don't, who are not with abortions or are against abortions who say they are pro-life and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I don't know how you're, you're able to have your, um, what is it? What is it called when a man, um, a vasectomy, you know what I mean? I don't, I, I don't understand how, you know, we're okay with vasectomies because in, in my opinion, if you're pro-life, you should be against vasectomies too, right? Because you shouldn't be stopping. If you say you're pro-life, you're trying to say that God, blah, 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 his kids, and that's why they should come to terms. But vasectomies stop you from giving God what, in, in, your, in your lingo, giving God what he wants, which is his children. Um, and, and then, you know, condoms are also, that should be against what you say. You know, if you're pro-life, you should be against condoms. You know, logically, in my mind, that's where that would work. I'm pro-choice. Um, but if you are pro-life, you know, those things shouldn't be allowed either. If you're against abortion, I, I feel like you must be against all of it. found out I was pregnant. I was three months into my first real job out of college. One thing researchers asked the study participants over the years was whether the relationship that led to the pregnancy lasted. Mm. This was to try to get an idea of whether these women had support. At the time of the abortion clinic visit, 80% of the study participants said they were still in this relationship. By the second year, that number fell to 60%. And by the fifth year, only about 27% of them were. Regardless of whether women in the study received or were denied an abortion, the likelihood of the relationship working out was low. He gets to go off and live his life and forget that he's a father while my entire life was about 
being a mother and caretaking for this person. It is already like a lot to go through unexpectedly, and it's a lot to do it on my own. The high likelihood of that relationship ending makes sense, given that another common reason for wanting an abortion was for partner-related reasons. I don't know that it would have been a, a healthy thing for ourselves or a child to have to endure those types of disagreements, that type of conflict, that type of disconnect. Trying to measure other types of support, researchers found that five years on, women denied abortions were more likely to be living alone with their children than women who received abortions and had other children. It didn't look like they were getting a lot of support from their partners or their immediate family. And that's the thing with these, these pro-life people, is that once a baby is born, y'all don't give a fuck about these babies. Y'all don't care. You don't care. You really don't care. You, you care about what a book that was written by man tells you. And that's just a simple truth. You know, I'm sick of uh, playing these little games with religion. I'm not, I'm not here for it anymore. Um, you know, we're in a time where people's lives are being ruined by religion. I went to a um, Stop the Violence uh, organization over the weekend, and um, you know, this pastor got up and he decided to say something about, and it was weird, it was very strange to me. You know, these religious people are so strange and so horrible to me that, um, you know, you here we are all talking about how to stop violence, and then he brought up homosexuality and lesbianism. And to me, the first person that brings that up is usually partaking in homosexuality and lesbianism. Let's just be honest. And I got some kind of pings on my radar about him anyway. Um, you know, these people are the ones that make our lives horrible. And um, they bring on more bullying. They bring on more hardship than not. And you would think when you talk about God and, and, and whatnot and loving thy neighbor, um, there wouldn't be this. You know what I mean? There wouldn't be such hate. There wouldn't be su such um, disdain for people when you are trying to promote positivity. But it's just not true. And um, unfortunately, there was a 10-year-old um, girl who was raped by a Columbus man Columbus, Ohio. Columbus man accused of raping a 10-year-old who had to leave Ohio for abortion. I mean, this is horrible. Columbus police have arrested a 27-year-old man accused of raping and impregnating a 10-year-old girl. That girl's story has made it internationally. The headlines in the wake of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade have been out there allowing Ohio's heartbeat bill to go into effect, and we thank you for joining us first at Toronto.
investigation started on June 22nd with detectives meeting with the pregnant child and her mother. Oh my God. Just when you, you hear that, right? That detectives had to meet with the pregnant child and her mother. Oh my God. Ugh. That is hard. You know, I'm a visual person. I'm, a, I'm an empath and um, I, I, I can't, I can't even, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining what that must have looked like. To walk in and see a child pregnant and this same child is being denied an abortion in the state that she lives in. No one had the balls to say, you know what? We can't allow this. We can't allow a child to have a, a goddamn baby. To, to really have a child and then be a child and then raise that child. No one in Ohio had the balls to say, no, you all stood there and watched it happen. You know, you can be mad at the rapist if you want to, but y'all allow these things to go on. Because if we had harsher penalties for, for people who rape children, right, and we had harsher moral corral for people who who say well you know what there were there were, there were people who said you know well why did she let it happen there are people who said that there are people who are upset and and said well well how did it happen are you serious that it sh that uh, how it, it should have been prevented or or um she should have said something are you serious a 10-year-old child? And this is, goes to America's obsession with young women and, and their obsession with lolitas and, and what they, you know, I remember from even growing up seeing Britney Spears and how they used her to sexualize women and sexualize teens. You know, the first time, if you look back at that Rolling Stone cover, the first one that she was on, and she was on the cover with these huge breasts, right? And then she had a teddy bear next to her, and she was wearing, let me pull up this picture so I can see it from my, my damn self. I'm imagining it. I don't want to say that she had the wrong outfit on. But, you know, America loves, and, and not all Americans, obviously, not you and I, right? I would hope. Um, here it is, Rolling Stone cover, 1999. So here's Britney Spears, right? Um, this is in 1999, so you know at that time, you know, we weren't even really talking about uh, the abortion thing coming off the table. But here she is in a bra on pink satin sheets, okay? So this is the sicko's uh, fantasy, okay? She's on a pink satin sheet with a Teletubby in one arm, a, a, a phone in her other hand. She's got a bra on. Her breasts are pushed up all the way to her, her, her neck. She's got, uh, you know, her belly out, and she's got these, these, these underwear on with a bow, a ribbon on it. 
all right? This is all pedophilia to me, okay? This is all pushing these young men to want young girls, okay? Um, this idea of a, a Lolita or, or, you know, that, um, like, I, you know, and first of all, let's be clear. We all watch porn, okay? So I was on Pornhub the other day. Well, not the other day, a few weeks back. And um, I didn't know that Pornhub allows the users to, to tell or show stories. And it was a horrible story. I couldn't, I, I, I read it from this, this female's um, profile. And, you know, she's a porn star, whatever, doing her thing. And then I clicked on her profile to see more about her or whatever. Yeah, I was interested. <laughs> and in, oh, wait a minute. Here's another picture from that Britney Spears uh, Rolling Stone uh, editorial. I think it was shot by one of my favorite photographers. Um, I think it was. I don't want to say his name if I'm wrong. So I just want you to look it up. She's in um, her room with a bunch of dolls around her. Okay, this is what I'm talking about right now. She's in her room with a, a bunch of dolls around her, a boom box, a, a bunny, and she's, she's got her breasts pushed up to, to the highest of yonder. She's got heels on. You know, she looks exactly what they talk about and what they like and what they obsess over, these, these men. These men that, that, you know what? I don't want to say it's not their fault. Obviously, it is their fault. And there are, I'm a person who believes in psychology and science and all of those things. But we have this thing where we, we push this porn type of thing. And porn is everywhere, you know what I mean? I can't even imagine being 10 years old and being able to go online the way these kids are. Because back in my time when going online, it was hard to get porn, okay? It was not easy to get porn. I had to download porn from, like, LimeWire, okay, to see any kind of real porn and, 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 and get, get it that way. And that took hours, okay? It, it wasn't on some click and go, click and go, click and go. And that's all people see nowadays with porn is click and go. So you have these men out there who really believe in this Lolita fantasy. And a lot of the porn stars are really not, well, they aren't. They should not be uh, under 18, right? So they have these personas of these baby doll images. And, and a lot of it comes from like the Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera's at that time who were pushing these uh, ideals of a, a young woman who was ready to express herself and come out of the bottle and things of that nature. Hit me, baby, one more time. You know, and you look at these, these, these women on these porn sites, and if you are a person who has not gone through uh, sex education, you're a person who is not developed, right? So young men don't develop until 25 years old anyway, right? That's the real maturity level of, of men. We don't fully mature until 25. So you have these boys nowadays, especially, who are looking at porn, and they get to see it every second, whatever they want, right? Categories. There are literal categories of what you can look up. You know, some of it is filtered, some of it is not, but you can find what you want on the internet at this point in time. There is not, there is no filter to stop you. There is no filter to stop you from looking up certain whatever you want to look up and, and, and get off to. So going back to the Pornhub thing, 
you know, here's this lady telling a story about how she was 16 years old and that she went to a store with her uncle. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? You know, I'm reading this story like, what the fuck? You know, and, and I'm thinking maybe she's just making it up. And she could have been making it up, right? She's telling a story about how the uncle took her to, to the store with him to go get, I guess they were going to the liquor store for the family that the, the family was having a party. And then he came on to her and he said, you know, um, I forget. I, I really, I don't want to quote or misquote. But the whole point was is that he then came on to her and then said, you know, he always knew she was a little slut or whatever that he said. I don't remember, but it was very nasty. And then the worst of it all, that's not even the worst of it all. In the comments, there were men just saying how, oh, this is a hot story. And this turned me on. What? This is out there. These people are out there and they're looking for these children. You know, and that's why I have such an issue with the way people are always twerking online and being on Instagram, twerking and, and just being nasty and, and showing these young women and young boys now, right? Because young boys are not uh, uh, spared from this at all. Not at all. Young boys are, are actually, I feel like, uh, more in danger because they don't really talk about it because of the homosexuality thing. You know, it's okay for a young woman to be sexually explorative, but not a young boy. So when we think of young boys, we don't, we don't want to believe that they're being sexual um, in, in a way where they're being with older people and older men or older women. We don't want to believe that. And if they are with older women, we're like, oh, yeah, look at you, you're the dude, you're blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? We're slapping high fives. No. It's a problem. We have a problem in this country with sex. We have a problem in this country with guns. It's, it's a problem everywhere, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a male-driven suicide car that we're driving in, and it's just on fire. It's been on fire forever, and it's not getting better. No one's doing anything about it. No one's doing anything about it. Your children are at risk every single day. When you give them a phone, they're at risk. They're on Snapchat where these, these conversations go away and you can't even see what your kids are talking about. And the fact that there were so many comments about, you know, they were praising this young lady and, and saying these, these things. Our kids are in danger. Human trafficking is, is far more long than they really talk about. And I played y'all that clip about how on the last episode where a father took his daughter to a basketball game and she disappeared for days and they found her in sex ads and how the police told that father that he can't report his daughter missing in that city because they weren't from that city and he had to drive 30 miles 
back home without his daughter to file a missing person report. And then they found her days later in a sex ad. I don't know. I don't know what this country is anymore. I, I mean, I don't know what it ever was. I mean, like I said, this has been going on forever. And I'm fine with expressing your body. I'm fine with expressing yourself. But what they put on Instagram and, and things for these children to look at every single day, unfiltered, un, un, unsupervised. I do have a problem with people like the city girls who make these, these songs about their pussy and this and that, and there's children singing these songs. I have a problem with it. And I, I think I've said I'm a, a, a conservative Democrat or independent because I have a huge problem with what is allowed. You, you, could, you could go on YouTube and watch, you know, the city girls videos over and over and over again. And, and you don't know that your children are watching. Like when it was our time, when we was looking up these things. We still had another side. We still had people who were not doing that. Now it's like everybody, everybody's twerking. Everybody's taking their clothes off. There are people who just are on the internet and they're not, and to me, I'm like, you know, are you even on OnlyFans? Are you making money from this? You're just on the internet, on Instagram, in a little box, taking your clothes off and shaking it for who and for what? You have people with, uh, or kids making fake or, 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 or lying about their age to, to, to get on Facebook, to get on these, these programs, these platforms. And it's unfiltered. And again, it's unsupervised. And it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. Because more kids go missing than ever in this country that we know about, I guess, right? Because we don't really know you know, we got kids who get kicked out of their house and, and then they go into the streets and they're gone. They're just gone. And no one's taking care of them. I think I got a little bit off the uh, abortion thing, but it's all relative. It's 100% all relative. Um... The 10-year-old was able to get an abortion, and that's after she was denied uh, uh, the ability to go and get an abortion in Ohio. Um, let me, uh, let's get into Exactly, exactly, literally what I just said. This is the case that got the headlines. There are so many cases that we don't know about. So when we talk about ending abortion, when we talk about these kind of things, and we only think about it from a one-sided stance, when we think about it with our own lives, there are over 200 million people that live in this country. And I'm talking about with children, right? Children, too, that live in this country that we don't hear about. I was watching what, uh, and one of my greatest, 
icons and artists and, and, and uh, an American treasure of all time, Aretha Franklin. She had a baby at, at, I think, 13. If you watch that movie, Respect, if you know her story, she was pregnant at 13 from her father. All right, some of this is, um, you have to read it, so let me read it. On June 30th, a young girl who traveled across state lines underwent an abortion in Indiana. The Indianapolis Star story of the 10-year-old rape victim went viral. It happened more days, mere days after the Supreme Court's decision reversed the constitutional, sorry, that went kind of fast, right to an abortion. Politicians and news outlets were quick to say the story was unproven. Huh, man, you know what? Ha. Huh. I didn't even know about that. Another lie. Anyone surprised? There had to be... People had to prove that this young girl needed an abortion just because of the, them overturning Roe versus Wade as if this doesn't happen. Y'all know this shit happens. This is not a new story, an abortion story too good to, to confirm. Who wrote that? Because I, I feel like, uh, the I don't know, it's not the Washington Post. These kind of organizations, these are dangerous people. Biden told, okay, so they're attacking Joe Biden just because he's talking about uh, this young girl and giving an example of why Roe versus Wade shouldn't be overturned. Biden told a tale of a 10-year-old rape victim that no one can identify. You want to know motherfucking why? Because her fucking name shouldn't be in your goddamn mouth because she should have some privacy. She was already raped. She's 10 years old. What else is there to really prove? Columbus Dispatch reporter Bethany Bruno, who was a part of USA Today Network, chose to look further. Hey, I was reaching out to law enforcement agencies across central Ohio that I had contacts with, um, trying to figure out where this case was. There, there's a lot of agencies here, um, and a 10-year-old victim becoming pregnant, uh, it's, while not entirely rare, it doesn't happen every day. So That we know of. On July 13th, Bruna put the pieces together. I saw an arrest on the arraignment list that our municipal court clerk posts online every morning of who's going to be in court that day. And it listed a gentleman um, being arrested by Columbus police and the charge was rape of a child under 13. Jesus Christ. Um, he was the only one that day. You know, that, and, that, and even uh, rape of a child under 13, that's a law in that state. So then they have another law with rape of a child, I guess, over 13? Well, the, uh, what's called an affidavit of probable cause, which is uh, the detective swearing out a statement as to why they think they have enough evidence to charge this person with this crime. And that document said the child was 10. And that it was a female, 
aligned with the timeline that the doctor in Indiana had provided. She showed up in court and was shocked to see she was the only reporter there. I don't know that anyone expected it to happen in this way and so quickly following the decision of Dobbs, but it did. And the reality is, and I can speak from my nearly 10 years of experience, this girl is not alone in being a victim of sexual assault, a survivor of sexual assault at that young age. It's just horrible. It's and I'm and I'm emotional about it because, like she said, and like I said, this is the story we know about. This is the story we've heard and talked about. A story that many Republican-led uh, news uh, channels and whatnot were trying to deny just because Joe Biden talked about it. Now, listen, I am no fan of Sleepy Joe. But this is not, this is not one you play with. You don't, you don't stand up and have a problem with it just because it's Joe Biden. You are sick. You're sick to, to even combat or, or have a, 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 another side of the argument when it involves children being raped. And not just young girls, boys too. Oh, oh! I, I'm just, I'm just really done. I'm done. I'm done. And now the the uh, the prosecutor, um, no, the the doctor who pro provided. Um, let me see if I can pull that up. Uh, Ten year old. Um, the doctor who provided um, the abortion, she could now face charges. Can you fucking believe that? And I can't say no other word but fucking. Can you fucking believe that there are people out here who want a 10-year-old to have a goddamn baby? No apologies from Republican who called 10-year-old rape victim story a lie. No apologies. These are, these are people who run things. These are people who are in office that don't care if your child is raped, boy or girl. They don't care. If your child gets raped, they don't care. That's what they're saying to you. And you follow them. You, you follow these people. Donald Trump is accused of rape of many people, including a 13-year-old girl. That story went, it went away as soon as he became president. And look it up. Because it's a real, I, I never come on here and tell you lies. I never, ever, I, I do my research and I pull things up and I talk about it and you see it. I go and I find more things. Donald Trump and an associate were accused of rape. The associate was more accused of the rape, I believe, and Donald, it happened in Donald Trump's home. A 13-year-old girl. Never heard of the story again once he became president.
But you want him to become president again. Y'all sick. Sick people. Let me let me take a break. I'll be back. You know, it it it, it becomes it's kind of hard for me sometimes to do or talk about these things, but I decided that I would use my voice to do anything and everything I can to do and inform people. And um, it's probably why I don't do this on a daily freaking day. You know, I probably could, I could space it out. But um, these stories, they should bother you and they do bother me. And just talking more about these things, you know, we have to talk about them. We have to get them out there because there are people in power who are dangerous and that I believe are a part of a ring of people who support human trafficking and support the abuse of children. And um, they need to be highlighted. All the people who called the story a lie and um, aren't walking back their words. If you vote for those people, what does that say about you? If you, if you vote these people back into office just because Donald Trump, the rapist himself, allegedly, um, supports them. What does that say about you? Uh, inflation continues to go higher and higher. Joe Biden is still asleep at the wheel. Let's find out more. Why is it why is it that parents are having a hard time paying for school supplies? Well, I, I mean, this is kind of rhetorical, okay? That should be provided. You know, when you don't tax these billionaires, when you allow Elon Musk to, to just go to space when he wants, and you allow uh the who's those other people? Mark Zuckerberg and the owner of Amazon, forget his name right now, to just be able to, you know, do what they want after they make billions and billions of dollars and don't have to help out the country. Why won't we tax the rich? These people, you know, you pay more in taxes than the rich. That's a, that's a fact. As long as they have a corporation, they can hide their money in the corporation and never pay for much of anything towards, towards us, the citizens who support these businesses. You got people out there who, who will say, well, they made the money, you know, why, why should they support everyone? Why not? Because those same people will say, you know, that they're religious and they are about supporting thy neighbor, and it's just a lie, it's a big hoax, it's a sham, all of it. 
And, and I think, you know, Elizabeth Warren, who they knocked out of the last presidential race, you know, she said that there was, you could tax them 3%, and they could, they could give us a stimulus check for every American every month just by taxing them 3% more. And there are people out there who are against that. I'm not against that. For the fact of the reason, uh, not many things are made in America. So when you think about why inflation is as high as it is, and then we're outsourcing everything, everything in America is outsourced. We don't get anything or nothing. I don't even, is this water in front of me made in America? <laughs> That's surprising. I guess it is. This Evian water, which I don't normally buy. This was given to me. <laughs> um, nothing's made in America anymore. So when you, we ask why is this so high, why is that so high, we've allowed these people to, to have these outside companies and outside of the country and make that money and hide their money offshore while we struggle, while poverty continues to, to soar, and they get to go to the moon whenever they want. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so, so the other day, I actually, it's funny, I probably won't go further with this, this story, because it is what it is. Um, I was at Walmart, and um, I'm walking through the aisle, because I had to go get my dog a bone, and um, I'm walking through this aisle, and I look over at book bags. And the book bags are $40 each to carry my fucking books in as a student. $40 for a book bag. And, and we're not even talking about your books, right? We're not even talking about your, your binders, your staplers, your pencils. What is going on? The American people are being bamboozled. You people who support Republicans are being lied to. They've been in power more than anyone, and they've not done anything for you, but you support them. They've done nothing for you. They've done everything for large corporations and people who make over $400,000 a year. But for you, they've done nothing, and you still support them. You still swear that they're helping, and Democrats are no better, because they're, they, you know, they're, they're they're pussies and they're, they're punks and they won't really call this out like I do. You know, just call them out. That's what Republicans do. Most of the time they just lie and, and, and don't even tell the truth about things, which you can fact check and really prove that they're lying. But the, the Democrats don't go as hard as I do or as any, any other person does. Oh, um... Another place where we are in danger is, um, and, and Donald Trump is a part of this, I believe. Um, you know, because he was in bed with Putin. Russia is, uh, has been, well, we're in danger. We're in danger all the time, right? 
uh, the U.S. is a hot or a hot target for enemies around the world. Um, and I don't believe that the people who run this country are really um, doing their best to protect us. Um, let's just get into this. Russia is preparing to launch a cyber attack on the U.S. And this has happened before. This is not brand new. This has happened. They've literally attacked our infrastructure before. We've had, uh, you know, the, the gas thing that happened earlier this year in Georgia. Um, New York, the, there was a blackout recently. There's, this, is, this has happened. And when they really, really go for the juggler, we're going to be in, in, in danger. I mean, not in danger. We're going to be fucked pretty much at the point. We're, we're already in danger, but we're going to be fucked because we don't produce anything. There's no way for us to keep the lights on. You got Sleepy Joe at the wheel, and we're going to talk more about Mr. Biden here, President Biden. Um, and he's not doing much to protect us. He's not creating the infrastructure we need. Trump didn't do it either. Obama tried, you know, and I'm not the biggest fan of him, but then he was fought the entire time as he was president by Republicans who did not want him to do anything at all. Even if it was uh, at the benefit of everyone, they didn't want him to do anything. But then the, the issue is, you know, everyone needs to be a part of the team, but there are team members who are in Russia's hands. We knew that a president was in Russia's hands. We know that a president loved to talk to Putin. We know that this president, uh, Trump, 
love to be in bed with North Korea and these things. We know these things. We've never, ever been a team player with Russia. In the entire time I've been alive, I've always heard that Russia was a problem until President Trump was in office. And then all of a sudden, we were cool with Russia. What? I mean, getting back on Biden, um, he uh, took a trip to Saudi Arabia uh, recently, and um, he's been hit with a lot of criticism about this trip. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia, if you don't know, um, and actually the, uh, the sheikh, or I guess crown prince, um, who's very fine. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. No, I should, I'm sorry. I apologize for saying that uh, because he's been, uh, he's alleged to be a, a murderer. Um, so that, that was inappropriate. I apologize. Um, um, Saudi Arabia has been accused by many and not just accused in the 9-11 report uh, about uh, what happened with 9-11. Many people feel Saudi Arabia was the real uh, doers of, you know, the attack on America. Um, and that obviously, you know, Osama bin Laden was just a front for it. Um, but Biden is, um, he went to Saudi Arabia and visited uh, the crown prince. And a lot of people have taken issue with the way he his relationship at that during this visit was with the crown prince you've seen him fist bumping him which you know come on now um i don't know what's wrong with this man he's seen now So what he's saying there is, you know, we don't want them playing with anybody else, so we're going to play with them just because if they play with other people, then we could be the ones to suffer from their wrath. That's what I heard. All right, all right. Um, let me get into this other one about the, the fist bump. Controversial trip to Saudi Arabia, and that friendly fist bump with the Saudi crown prince, a 
country. He once said he wanted to make a pariah, now at the center of the president's efforts to shore up global oil markets. Today, the White House now defending the trip and the president's meeting. President Biden seen leaving Jeddah late today, concluding his first Mideast trip as president, which was meant to reset the strained relations between the U.S. and its one-time top ally in the Arab world. The Saudis eager to release this image for the world to see, that highly choreographed fist bump. U.S. intelligence officials say Mohammed bin Salman approved the brutal killing of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. President Biden saying he called out the crown prince on the murder and human rights and pushed the Saudis to increase oil production. Tonight, where that effort stands and what it could mean for gas... I don't believe any of that. I don't believe any he, You called him out. What did you say? Why did you murder that man? Oh, that's why you murdered him? Okay. Now, oh, um, now what about the oil? Is that what really happened? Ooh, and Biden had the fist up first. And, and the funny part about, well, I don't know. The funny part about um, these kind of uh, setups or photo ops is that they actually talk about it. Um, they actually say, you know, this is what's going to happen. Biden's going to get out the car. Y'all will do a handshake or a fist bump, whatever it is that y'all going to do. Um, and that there should be nothing more. You know, I don't want, there's not going to be waving or smiling, fist bump, and then y'all walk inside. These are choreographed. These are not just, you know, me and you meeting up and then an awkward hug or a high five that, you know, came out of nowhere. These are choreographed moments. And the U.S. concluded approved of the brutal killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. After Biden as a candidate vowed to punish Saudi Arabia, the kingdom was eager to share these images of their warm welcome. Tonight, the White House is defending the trip with pressing spokesman John Kirby. But was it worth it? Think about uh, so many national interests here in this region. You're not going to advance those districts if you just stay at home and try to phone it in. You have to actually go and speak to leaders and be on the ground to try to make a difference. The president agree. says he brought up Khashoggi at the very top of the meeting. I said very straightforwardly, for an American president to be silent on an issue of human rights, is this consistent with anything consistent with who we are and who I am? But Khashoggi's fiance tweeting, the blood of MBS's next victim is on your hands. Mm. I'm sorry she feels that way. I was straightforward back then. I'm straightforward today. But but saying, but you didn't say anything, right? So if you bring it up and say that we're not, we don't support um, catastrophes or, or murders like that, you didn't say anything. So yes, the blood is on your hands because you're allowing this person to, to, to act out crimes against people who, who are like me, essentially. You know, I have a press pass, just to be honest with you guys. I have a press pass. I, I'm able to, to, uh, to uh, report the news. I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to report the news and things of that nature. Um, so if a person like me is murdered, uh, because I'm bringing forth stories that would bring down a government or bring down a crown prince, and you just saying, you know, we're, we don't support that kind of thing. 
end, you're still going to do business with us? That's, that's literally what she said. That's why you have the blood on your hands, because no matter what, you still sat at the table and y'all had tea. So what he's saying is, hey, you know what? Don't complain because I'm trying to get the, the, the oil prices, the gas prices lower. No, we shouldn't have been this high. We shouldn't be where we are today. Okay, we shouldn't be relying on oil or a, an oil uh, conglomerate from out of this country to, to stay stable. We shouldn't be there. That's not what we should be doing as America, as the big global shining beacon of freedom. We shouldn't be looking towards a country outside of this one to supply us and, and, and signing off or, or looking the other way at murders just to do it. Because if it, if it was your neighbor, you would, you would have a problem. If it was your, your mailman, you would be like, nah, I don't really want him delivering my mail. He just murdered people. I don't want him touching my mail like he's a murderer. Why would I want him to just be around doing whatever he wants? But because you're trying to say this is the way we're going to get oil, maybe you should just fucking give money to the gas stations around this country or something. Something, something can be done other than shake hands or fist bump with murderers. So we don't even have an actual, I mean, I'm sure they're going to give us some oil, right? But we don't even have an actual influx of this right now. We don't have any cut. Now, my thing is, is that if you really wanted to, you could say, hey, you know what? We're not going to tax uh, these gas uh, stations right now. We're, we're going to um, ease off of them. Maybe they don't have to pay rent for where they they are where they're located maybe they don't have to pay this maybe to offset this kind of thing but you don't do that but you go and fly to saudi arabia fist bump people who are accused of war crimes of, uh, or are accused of uh, human um inhumane killings and things of that nature that's what you do so you can't enact no kind of law that would ease these gas companies into to helping us out as Americans, but you rather go across the world to solidify a relationship with people who many world leaders are against. Yeah, that's what's happening. Let me see what this is. Uh So 
<laughs> okay, let me, for, for discretion, this is Fox News, so. <laughs> I laughed because she said, she said, um, the class photo, they're being shady as fuck. Right, and that's my thing. The fist bump between President Biden and Mohammed bin Salman was worse than a handshake. Yeah, it really, really is. And when you see it, if you choose to go see it, it really, really is worse than a handshake. Because a fist bump to me is like, we're bros. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not the same as a handshake. Our handshake, I don't really like touching people anymore anyway because of COVID. I really had an issue with handshaking period i don't know why we have to be so damn touchy with each other anyway you know stay the hell back I'm, i was happy when the six feet thing came out because why are we always so damn close to each other why are we always touching each other we don't got to touch hi bye Go ahead, Fox News. Now, I don't like Fox News, but they are obviously in, in tune with what I was just saying a second ago. You're not doing anything to improve America. You're not doing anything to improve our infrastructure at all. We are at risk at being a desert. We are at risk at being Mad Max Fury Road. That's what we're looking at. That's the, that's the gun. The end of the gun we're looking at is to be an apocalyptic state. We will not have food for your children. We will not have food formula for your babies. We won't have gas to get around. We won't have clean water. We won't have electricity. This is what the barrel we're staring down, okay? And I'm not just trying to gaslight. This is factual. These are things that I've talked about on this show before, okay? So this meeting, uh, this, this video is what, four days old? This is not brand new information. These are things that we have been leading towards. And this is something that Biden, President Biden, should have been working on in the last, how long has he been president? I don't even freaking know anymore because the, the lines are so damn blurred with how much headlines we have to deal with in this country, okay? So my issue is you have not improved. You have not improved anything from Trump. You, where, where Trump broke everything down and put these justices on the Supreme Court and, and what he did, it is only getting worse and we are going down a rabbit hole. Let me tell you, we are going down the rabbit hole. We are in danger. You better start stocking up. Stock up on water, stock up on non-perishables because 
when they decide to drop that bomb on us, when they decide to shut our electricity off and shut our gas off like they did early this year, which they did, we're in danger. You got people out here with guns that, that, that some people shouldn't have. You got people out here who are hungry. It's already going on. People are hungry now. People are doing crazy things now for, for, for money and, and whatnot. So what happens when they turn off the faucet? Oh. And, and then another thing is this guy, uh, uh, Biden, he's in a health decline that is, 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 is so visible. Take a, take a listen to this. And by the way, this is not Fox News. This is Sky News Australia. I believe that they're very, uh, if you would say, Republican. Uh, I don't know what they... Oh, excuse me. I don't know what their party is down there, but they seem to be very, like, like Republican, uh, or Repub Republicans would be in America. Um, they seem, Sky News Australia, they seem to be very much against uh, the Biden uh, administra administration. Excuse me. He said, what am I doing now? Then he got confused and tried to, I think, go off with a female military officer. I'm not going with you. Now, some commentators went a little over the top and suggested the president was actually sleazing onto the woman. But frankly, Sounds like it. God. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, they're, 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 I think that they're reaching with this. Um, no, now, I, like I said, I believe that his health is in decline. I do not believe that Joe Biden will be running for president again. And if he does, he's going to be a propped up Muppet that um, is be, someone's hand is up there. Um, Joe Biden should not run for, for president again. Uh, Donald Trump will be running for president. Uh, more than likely to uh, to stay away from the crimes that he's committed over these last few years. Um, but Joe Biden is, um, yeah, I don't I don't see him running for president again, and I don't see him being able to at all. Position Ronnie Jackson hasn't been shy in unleashing his thoughts on the sitting Thought at one point that he was running for the Senate and later couldn't 
remember what state he's campaigning in. This had been going on for months and was getting worse. 20 minutes later, he received an email from Obama that read, I have made a point of not commenting on your service in my successive administration and have always spoken highly of you both in public and in private. You always served me and my family well and I have considered you not only a fine doctor and service member but also a friend. That's why I have to express my disappointment at the cheap shots you took at Joe Biden via Twitter. It was unprofessional and beneath the office that you once held. It was also disrespectful to me and many friends you had in our administration. I don't know why that, that video got so low. It just went low on, on its own. Um, but Barack, I mean, um, if someone's a health official and they are trying to alert the public of something that we should know, we should know that the president is not mentally able to hold a position. Um, we should know that we, like I said, he's been asleep, asleep at the wheel, right? We should know that someone is not able to represent us as a country around the world. We should know that. Um, to attack that man for saying that, um, I don't know what I want to call it, but I, I, don't, I don't agree with it at all. Um, at all. So, um, let me take a break, and I'll be right back. All right, guys, we're back. And, um, of course, the uh, January 6th commission is going on. I mean, I don't know how much more we have to really look at this to, to see that there were a bunch of people who were allowed to attack this country and pretty much get away with it and that they still live amongst you and I and they are your postal workers. They are, you know, the people who deliver your pizza. They are the people who uh, are teachers and, and or Boy Scouts, you know. Um, we don't know who they are because the FBI and this government has not allowed us to know who they are even though they know who went, they know who traveled there, they knew that there were groups uh, planning this, and um, we're still in the dark about it. All the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th riot wants to know who organized the attack with particular focus on former President Trump. There are others who are focused on the still simmering question of who participated in it and why they participated. Were they motivated only by the false idea of a stolen election, or was there something deeper, something that won't pass as quickly as a single campaign cycle? Well, researchers at the University of Chicago have been looking into these questions, and they find it, uh, evidence of a conflict here in America, a conflict smoldering underneath all the other conflicts, and it begins with a single fact. More than 90% of the people arrested for the attack on the Capitol were white. And the ding, 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 shopper, shocker, shocker, shocker. 93% of the Capitol rioters were white. White supremacy, and we've talked about this on the show, white supremacy has been allowed to run this country forever. There is no law banning racism. Okay, there's, you know, people wanted to say to me, oh, well, there's uh, hate, anti-hate laws. There's not. There is no law against racism in this country. And the key characteristic, according to the researchers, uniting these attackers was not ideology or geography, but in fact race. Quote, they come from counties where the white share of the population is declining fastest. Now, we talked about that also, and I've never seen this clip. We talked about that, I think, um, season two, episode one, 
where I talked about how many of the people who who want to overturn overturn Roe versus Wade were uh, kind of um, worried that the white race was declining and that that's why they wanted abortions to be stopped. Earlier this year, you'll notice my winter coat in these pictures, we visited a place that had already experienced a sudden demographic change, the city of Pennsylvania, where white Americans, accustomed to being an overwhelming majority, are quite suddenly not. We arrive in Allentown, Pennsylvania one day last winter, and to us, absolutely nothing seems out of the ordinary. But talk to Ed Frack, and he'll tell you that's because we haven't lived through the changes here. My mother grew up a couple blocks away, six in the Liberty area, and um, it just, back then you could walk around, your doors unlocked. As a kid, I mean, Allentown was amazing. Ed's friend Gary Iacocca also remembers that older Allentown and the non-stop crowds that used to shuffle through the hot dog shop his grandfather opened after coming here from Italy. I will tell you, the original Yonkos was open at 6 a.m. in the morning and we closed at 1.30 at night and wow. we were busy all day. Well, this was a blue-collar town. Third shifts, they would get off, they'd come down to Yonkos, they'd get a couple hot dogs, drink a beer, and go home. And while that family business continues in other locations, the original Yonkos is gone, closed after 82 years. The problem is the neighborhood began to change. As other little restaurants opened up, you know, Hispanic restaurants, uh, soul food restaurants, uh, uh, Asian restaurants. Got so you couldn't compete with your little hot dogs and you ran. You closed it down because you couldn't complete. This is the problem with white fragility. And this is what I've talked about on this show. I've talked about white fragility. And I've talked about how these white people want to blame minorities for the fact that they couldn't survive in a climate where their food wasn't as good, their music isn't as good, the things, their clothing isn't as good. And then they look at us and say, you're a problem. You're infringing on my rights. You're infringing on the land that my father did. If your father failed with all these white Republicans and white uh, leaders who were able to control this country, if your father and your mother failed while white people are in power, it's because they were failures. It has nothing to do with black people. It has nothing to do with Asian people. It has nothing to do with Hispanic people. You grew up serving hot dogs. Yeah. The, comp the, the competition, there was none. You had hot dogs. The, the competition is the supermarkets who are able to get hot dogs in the store and then people go home and put it in some goddamn water. You weren't doing much. Sad. Very sad. Yeah, it's sad that you had no other, it's sad that you had no other creativity but to make hot dogs. You think people just want to eat hot dogs? I don't even eat your hot dogs. I haven't eaten hot dogs in years. Well, I mean, I eat vegan hot dogs now. But barely. Because you don't even know what's in a hot dog. As for Ed Frack, by the time his mother passed away in 2020, at 90 years old, he says it had been at least a decade since she felt at home. Since she felt at home, since since the, <laughs> you know, 
that is the problem with many white people. They believe that they founded this country. You stole this country. You stole this country. You brought people over here who were stolen, made them work for free. You raped and pillaged Native Americans, pushed them out to yonder, gave them a few casinos. And now you're like, oh, my mother, she would never recognize this place. It's because when she recognized it, it was stolen. So a, a biker pulled up playing music and then they turned around and he smiled. That's Allentown. It's that kind of shit. Now, that's the kind of shit that makes me upset, right? That you think that you, your street, your street, which is not your goddamn street, that guy who pulled up just now pays taxes just like you do, Mr. Man. We all pay taxes. We all are the ones that are being held down by politicians. If you were to wake up and realize that, you wouldn't be so damn racist. Changed is not only the culture or economy, but the people. In the 1970s, Allentown was 97% white. By 2020, though, the white share of the population had plunged to 31%, as Hispanic residents became what the local paper calls a strong majority. The men, women, and children who come. And just as it took years for previous waves of immigrants to be accepted into their communities, there's a sense of tension here. So just to be clear, there are white people in Allentown who think that the problem with this street is all the non-white people who've moved in. That's why the pride has declined. That's why the condition of the street has declined. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. Those people are out here. Yeah, definitely. One of the more interesting theories about the riot in the Capitol on January 6th is that the people who went, the biggest predictor of whether they would go was whether their county had the loss of the white population relative to minorities. Does that surprise you? Uh, no, not really. Why not? Um, we, had, we had some folks right from here go. Um, after our conversation right now, you know, yeah. You went. I can see that more so than, than what I would have thought before. Most of America, not just Allentown, is changing, at least demographically, according to census data. The number of white Americans dropped last decade across 35 states and in three out of four counties. In headlines you may have seen, America will no longer have a white majority by 2044. We're in an explosive moment in America right now. Michelle Norris has been covering this long moment in America for more than a decade reporting in National Geographic back in 2018 that some white Americans react anxiously and angrily to a sense that their way of life is under threat. People feel like something's being snatched from them sometimes. And even though it's not something that is tangible, community pride, a sense of, of belonging, a sense that this is my town and we built it, and now it doesn't feel like it's mine anymore. It's not the one that they grew up in. And the irony is, for many of the immigrant families that came here, people were saying the same thing about them mm. when they arrived. So that idea of something being snatched from them, it makes me think of 
former President Donald Trump's campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. It's nostalgic. Well, nostalgia can be sweet, and sometimes nostalgia can be toxic. The concern is that toxicity can sometimes tip into outright violence. Something another Allentown family, the Minayas, worries about inside their corner grocery store. Thankfully, nothing has happened, but you can never put it past anyone. Emily Minaya came I was, uh... I was invited to Boston recently. And the first thing I thought, and I said to the person was, um, isn't Boston really racist? And they were like, well, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> you know, not, not that he was uh, supposed to say no. He's like a, um, he's a, a, a big producer in, um, in the, the reality show world. Um, and I can't, I, you know, I, I live in a, um, a town where actually um, many people have told me 20 years ago that this town was um, predominantly white and how it has changed. And, and, and my thing is, white people, I just don't know when you're going to get over it. When are you going to just be... And, and that's why I say that a lot of white people need mental therapy and, and, and help. Um, and that racism should be a mental health crisis because these people really and truly believe that this country is theirs, that they are the ones that founded it, they are the ones who pioneered it. But you wouldn't have done none of it without free workers Right? Workers that you kept and beat and enslaved and raped over hundreds and hundreds of years and then you enacted laws to help them uh, stay down. You know, you ask the question why the black people should or why should black people get reparations? Why should y'all literally tied our hands behind our backs? Black people in general, not me, obviously, but there's still laws that, and things that affect me. You have Wells Fargo. Who, who was making up fake interviews for black people, um, knowing that they weren't going to hire them. So again, racism is systemic. It's everywhere. So you tie the hands behind uh, the backs of, of black people. You tied their legs together. And then you, you said, three, two, one, race. And then you expected black people to be on the same type of speed that you were. And you say, why? Why do you need this? Why, why is... Uh, you know, why segregation? Why this and that? Why this and that? But y'all don't want to talk about the real truth. Y'all don't want to sit down and actually talk about real things. You just want to glaze over it. And that's why I say your white fragility is laughable. It's laughable because you've not been able to really invent anything. You've not been able to come up with things that will sustain. You steal everything. You eat the food of black people, you eat the food of Spanish people, you eat the food of Asian people, but you don't think that they deserve a spot. You listen to our music, you, you listen to, you, you wear the clothing that we, we wear, you get 
the, the markings and tattoos like us. You like the hair. You like the butts. You like the, the fake lips. You get the tans that make you look darker. You do all those things, but say why they're here. And that's why I said, get used to it. Y'all can't get rid of us. We're growing. We're having the babies that you're saying that white people aren't having. Get used to it and get over it. Get used to it and get over it. If you're not going to come and kill us all, get used to it and get over it. Or come kill us all. Because it's not, we're not going away. You know, you were able to bomb our towns back then when, when we didn't have cell phones and things of that nature. You were able to take, burn down our towns, burn down entire cities of black people. You were able to do it, but now you can't because everyone can see it. Right. There's nothing for me to say. Because you're not going to win this one. You got people mixing and mixing and, and having babies and, and, and coming, you know what I mean? Um, so you're not going to win this. You're not the majority anymore by 2044. What the hell? Who cares? You're supposed to live on this earth and be kind. It's not supposed to be a majority or a person who's better than the next. You're not supposed to want to be that. That's not supposed to be something you teach your children. You shouldn't want to be better than someone else just because they're living. Just because they're different than you. Just because you see them happy. Just because they're barbecuing or, or getting in the pool or bringing their friends to the pool. You're not supposed to go and attack them because a, a, a black man is watch bird watching you don't know what he's doing you're not supposed to be so upset that why are you here why are you here in my town the town that was built on the, the backs of of men and women who worked there for free for hundreds of years get over it a person that will not ever get over it recently had a death Donald Trump, Donald Trump's wife, Ivanka Trump, got away from him in the best way possible by falling down a flight. No. <laughs> you know, I don't think that she really liked him anyway. And, and, I, and I wonder, um, you know, I got to wonder if he had anything to do with it because he's, he's been accused of murdering people, Donald Trump. Like I said, look it up.
Good morning, Hoda. The funeral will take place this afternoon here at St. Vincent Ferrer Catholic Church on Manhattan's Upper East Side. It is just a few blocks away from the Manhattan townhouse of Ivana Trump. That's where she died last week after falling down the stairs, a death that the medical examiner here in New York has ruled an accident. Today's funeral is an invitation-only event. We are told her three children, Don Jr., Ivanka, and Eric, will all eulogize their mother. Their father, Ivana's second husband, former President Donald J. Trump, will attend the service. A person close to the family describes the one-time couple's relationship as very close and says that he was her biggest supporter and vice versa. The former president was spotted earlier this week arriving at Trump Tower with his wife, Melania. Now, this service is billed as a celebration of life and what a life Ivana Trump lived. She was born in Czechoslovakia. She became a competitor. All right. You know, this lady who's on this TV right now, she's a, a Ivana Trump's friend, always feared she would fall down those treacherous stairs. Um, if, you've, if you haven't seen the staircase, you have to look it up. Um, it must have been horrible. Um, those stairs look hard as hell, and they are windy. You know, uh, Ivana Trump was over 70 years old, close to 80 years old um, when she died. And... Um, this lady's talking, I'm sorry. You know, when it comes to the Trumps, I really don't have much respect um, because of how horrible they've been to people, how they've stolen from many people, not paid people over the years, many workers that they claim, you know, that they dislike Spanish um, workers, that they, um, you know, Donald Trump is very much against, um, or he likes to be say that he's against um, these people. Um, and tells his supporters to not support them, but he definitely hires them and then doesn't pay them. Um, you know, the Trumps have been notoriously people who, uh, who evade paying people. You know, Donald Trump has over seven bankruptcies in, in, in his life. I, he was a bankrupt president, a one-term president, and an impeached president. Um, this lady is looking back at pictures, and if you see this lady, I mean, how do you look back at pictures of you guys and I mean, what do you, your face, her, her face is crazy. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me not, let me, let me get into something else because I'm going to, I'm going to go there. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess rest in peace, whatever. I, I really don't care about the Trumps. I don't care. Um, you know, sad, I guess someone lost their mother, but when you, you know, <laughs> karma.
by the turn of the next century. So which countries are driving the world's population growth? Well, according to the same... 2100, Jesus Christ. You know, to look at something like that, and I was thinking about that, like, um, you know, by 2100, how many years are we away from 2100? I mean, I guess I could just do the math on that, but... There we go. It's one of the top questions on Google. Um, how many years are we away from 3,000, the sun, and 2050? Uh, we are 929 months away, 4,041 weeks, and 28,289 days from uh, the year 2100. 77 years. Do I want to be alive by then? Ah, damn it. It says we are 40,735... How do you say that? 40,735,290 minutes away from uh, the year 2100. This is as of right now. As of right now, right now, right now. Um, yeah. Same UN report. More than half of the growth until 2050 will come from a handful of countries. Countries like the, Dem the Democratic Republic of Congo, Egypt, Ethiopia, India, Nigeria, Pakistan, Tanzania, I'm and the Philippines. Joining us now to help us understand this is John Wilma. He's the director of the population position at the United Nations. Thank you so much for being here. Really it's my pleasure. Thank so you. tell us a little bit about the trajectory we're going to see here. It looks as if we are going to continue to rise in the near term. Will we then plateau? Will it come back? What do we think the long term? Yeah, well, the, the, the main takeaway of this report, or one of the main takeaways, is that the global population continues to grow. That's true, but that growth is slowing down. And we've seen a gradual slowdown. The, the peak rate of population growth was around 1970, when the global population was growing at about 2% per year. And now we've fallen below 1% uh, in, in, in 2020. And that will continue to go down. And we expect that by, around, by the 2080s, uh, growth will hit zero. There, and, and we will reach a peak population size, and probably the human population will never go above that. Wow. That's what why we expect. Help me understand, why would that be? Why is it slowing down? Well, it's slowing down because, I mean, first of all, why was it growing? Because yeah. we've been in this era of growth. Right. You know, this is unusual in human history. It's not common that uh, human populations grow at 1% and 2% per year consistently over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And so what has caused that is something that we call the demographic transition which is basically a transition for, uh, towards longer lives and smaller families. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of toward a modern world that we're all kind of used to. A, a world in which there's family planning, where there's technology yes. for life saving. Yes. All these factors come together and sh both slow growth, but also shrink, because it's shrinking families. Yeah. Well, first, first of all, it drives growth because uh, the, the reduction of mortality and keeping people alive longer, that yeah. just means there are more people. And especially that was true with, with children. Children were so likely to die before they would reach adulthood. And so, you know, the first gains in terms of reducing mortality affected children and, and youth. And so we had more children surviving to adulthood and then having children of their own. And therefore, that would drive right. population growth. Right. So, so, you know, it's really it's the drop in mortality that starts this process of population uh, The UN reports global life expectancy rises to 72.8 years. Um, 
that's what they say most people will live until. But many people are living now to 130. I've seen people live to 130, so who knows? Population growth. And then what, what brings it to a close is the reduction of, of the birth rate, right. the reduction of fertility rates, average numbers of children per woman. Uh, once that falls to around two, yeah. then you get zero growth eventually. So what's so interesting to me about this, though, is that by 2080, right, we hit that zero growth moment, but it is not as if that zero growth would be evenly distributed around the planet. Oh, right? no. We're talking here about some countries, I would assume, shouldering a much heavier population burden than others. And, and, and then you got to really think about and why, why I even put this story uh, up for talking about, about the population rising. Um, you have to also figure in global warming, right, at this point in time and what the earth is starting to look like. And if you are paying attention to the news and if you are seeing what's going on, um, there's been heat waves around this country. And, uh, you know, well, well, really, there's been heat has been, it's, the earth has been getting hotter for years, right? I've known since I was a child about global warming or, um, how littering and things of that nature have has really affected the planet. And we have people in office and people who control the world who uh, pretty much are neglecting it and acting as if, you know, things aren't getting worse with global warming and climate change. And you really have to think about those things when we talk about the... the, the how many people are going to be on this earth, and who we can serve, who who can survive the heat and then things of that nature as the earth keeps getting hotter? Because, you know, like I said earlier, if we don't have electricity, you don't have air conditioning. You know, if you don't have clean water, you will die. And, um, and that's why I said to stock up on water because the earth is getting hotter. Um, electricity will, because we don't have anything infrastructure-wise to really say we will stay afloat in this country, really, um, and we're, we're a subject of attack from many people uh, who want to see the U.S. go down. Um, you know, being in the heat is something that's um, it's evident and it's coming. You know, there's no way to say it nicely. There's no way to not, uh, I guess, gaslight. I'm not trying to gaslight. It's just truth. The, the earth is getting hotter and many people will not survive. That's just point blank period. There are forest fires going on everywhere. Uh, there are, um, like in Utah, I think the, the salt, the biggest, you know, salt lake, that thing uh, is dried up. Or, you know, there's only inches of water there that I saw on a report um, recently. Um, speaking of, of people dying or collapsing from severe heat, here's a UPS driver who collapses, who collapsed at the front door of a uh, package delivery that he was making, um, which a lot of people have been hearing about. So.
knowing that you don't know what's going to happen to that guy if he goes to the next house or to his truck. Homeowner Brian Enriquez says he was shaken when he saw what his ring camera had captured. You can see in the video, looking at his hand, shaking his hand. I mean, he could have a mini stroke or anything. You may be surprised to hear that UPS trucks have no air conditioning. It feels so freaking hot back here. Drivers are taking to social media to share their extreme working conditions. This guy is drenched in sweat. Jesus. through the truck. The best way is we always leave the doors open. We rented a UPS truck to experience what drivers endure. UPS drivers call these trucks the box, and there's a reason. They literally bake in the sun. This one's been parked for a while. Outside, we're registering 95 degrees, but inside, we're approaching 120. UPS says the driver on that Arizona video is fine today, adding, our package delivery vehicles make frequent stops, making air conditioning ineffective. Across the nation, the heat is on. How the hell is air conditioning ineffective if the doors are closed? The reason why they keep the doors open is because they want some kind of air to blow on them while they're driving. But if the air conditioning was effective, then it would be closed and they could re, uh, rejuvenate. Y'all are out of your minds. And when people die and people sue y'all, they just like, oh, well, blah, 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 you knew the nature of the job. What the hell? What the hell? We're not taking care of anyone anymore. No one's being taken care of. And you have these companies that can just say things like, it's ineffective. How? If I could deliver a package and then go back in the, in the truck and get a little breeze and some water, wouldn't I be better? We're talking about all-time records, like we have never in recorded history in centuries seen this type of heat. Check out the forecast in Houston. We've got triple digits yeah. in the forecast. Look at all those hundreds. It's going to feel like you're standing inside of a hairdryer. The extreme weather sparked severe thunderstorms and flooding in New York, where a massive sinkhole swallowed a van. It's going! In the United Kingdom, they're seeing temperatures of 100 degrees plus for the first time ever. They've literally never experienced this before in recorded history, going back 363 years. And only 5% of the homes there are air conditioned. Can you believe that? Can you believe that in the U... I didn't know this, okay? I didn't know that in the UK that they don't have air conditioning. I didn't know that. Only 3% of the homes in the UK have air conditioning. 3%. There are people dying over there right now. There are people dying around this world from, from heat. Right now. And we haven't gotten anywhere yet. We're not even there. We're not even at the hottest point yet. We're not. And, and the people that were able to make a change, where are they? When Al Gore talked about it in uh, 1992. 1992, they knew about this.
This morning, the massive heat wave hitting Europe, fueling flames burning throughout the continent. In France, officials warning of a heat apocalypse as temperatures soar to 109 degrees. In Zamora, Spain, passengers surrounded by a wildfire as their train passes through the blaze. In recent days, pilots have been flying over billows of smoke trying to douse the growing fires. Fires forcing thousands across Spain, Portugal, and France to evacuate. Oh my god, and I just feel so horrible for the animals. I have a dog that was found, um, you know, found in the streets. And yesterday I was hearing about these heat waves and I, man, when I tell you, it, it, it's, it's just heartbreaking to think of all the animals out there that are just out there. And they have no recourse, they have no water, they have nothing. And these temperatures keep rising. You see, they talked about in Houston how every day is over 100 degrees. If you have no water, they, talk, they talked about how in London where they can't even have planes fly out because the, 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 the tarmac is melting. You can't fly your plane off the ground because the ground is melting. This is a scary place, man. This is a scary place. And the fact that there are people who said global warming isn't a danger, that climate change isn't a danger. There are people who said that for years upon years upon years upon years. And now we're here. You got to think about the elderly, some who don't have people to check on them.
We are, um, I don't know, I don't know. The only thing I could say, I don't even know, there's, I don't know what you can do. Buy a generator. Get a generator now. Where you can use air conditioning for a little bit and then cool off and then turn it off and because we um we're we're at the brink of you know imagine in twenty years there's nothing to stop weather there's no no man can stop weather no woman can stop weather um and as we keep burning and throwing garbage in the, in our waters and in the oceans and allowing people to dump oils and stuff into the ocean and 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 just use up all of our natural resources we're we're heading for doom we talk about the the, the population growing to 8 billion and then you know more by 2100 we're literally in route of being max, max. Uh, what did I say? <laughs> Mad Max. You know where it was just hot all the time, and and when you wanted water, you had to go to some czar who would pour water on everyone and then stop it, and only certain people could get water. Yeah. Prepare. I'll be back. It's a long one, I'll tell you that much. Um, but, you know, I hit you with stories that uh, are gripping and that must be, I feel, must be talked about. I don't think I bring you stories that are, uh, you know, bullcrap or something that you shouldn't pay attention to. Um, let's get into this next one. Kajime Parenting Alert. A Wisconsin family speaking out about losing their nine-year-old after they say she participated in the so-called blackout challenge on TikTok. Now they're taking the social media giant to and, and this is, okay, so I talked about this earlier on the show, about how our children are being al not allowed, you know, because what are you supposed to do? You, 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 your kids should have a phone, right? But now you, you have your kids on TikTok and they're seeing these things and I think she's about to say that they're taking uh, TikTok to court. There is no safety net for our children. There is none. The court and opening up to GMA about what they want other parents to know. For the Arroyo family, things haven't been the same since the devastating loss of their nine-year-old daughter, Ariani. Just the saddest I see in my son's eyes happy birthday to his sister at her grave. It's very hard for all of us. But this is the lifestyle like we have to adjust to. We sat at a table of four chairs. We sit now at three. The parents oh. speaking out exclusively to ABC News about a TikTok challenge called Blackout in which children choke themselves until they pass out. What? something online and you see people framing it as fun or a challenge. What? That's a thing? What the fuck? How is it that the first time a video or a hashtag blackout challenge comes up that there is no one to see that 
There are children doing this. Or anyone doing it. How? No one can see that we have a problem if people are choking themselves for a challenge. You, you, you want to blame the people. That's the thing to do is say, well, you shouldn't be doing this or these people shouldn't be doing it. Obviously, right? State the obvious. Go ahead. But then what? Influence is influence. People want to be famous. People are dying to be famous. Okay? And not that this little girl was, but people are dying to be famous. People want those hits. People want their TikToks to be uh, the most famous and to be seen. That's why most of you can't even wear a mask for COVID because you just want people to see you all the time. You're sort of gamifying the particular thing and decreasing people's perception of the risks. Ariane Arroyo taking part in the fatal trend last February. We just never thought there was a darker side to, you know, what TikTok allows on its platform. We don't want no other children out there to be at the statistic of the situation again. A TikTok spokesperson referring ABC News to a statement the company released last year about the challenge saying it predates the platform and has never been part of a TikTok trend. We remain vigilant in our commitment to user safety and would immediately remove related content if found. Our deepest sympathies go out to the family for their tragic loss. The Arroyos now calling for justice. The grieving family filing a lawsuit earlier this month against TikTok. It's the case about saving kids. Well, the most important thing is just how deadly uh, this TikTok uh, blackout challenge is and how... Uh, predictable it was. This latest incident, not the only case that has surfaced from the TikTok challenge. Last July, Texas eight-year-old Lalani Walton was also found dead from recreating the short video. And in Pennsylvania, a 10-year-old girl died last December after attempting that very same TikTok challenge. So TikTok is saying that it predates the app and all this. This is what these companies do and this is what we allow them to do. There are three children that they've talked about so far that have died and that there, there are definitely more that have, who have died, okay? There are definitely more that, that have died and that maybe people don't talk about and things of that nature. Challenge. I think so much of this is talking to kids, especially young kids, about the transition from the virtual world to reality. That basically what they see online, just like cartoons or movies, may not actually be real. But for the Arroyos, their plan to continue... But, but that's the difference, and that's why these things are so dangerous, and that's why these companies should be liable, okay, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, that they should be liable, is because when you're a child and you're getting on these platforms, there is no way to be like, that's a cartoon. You see human beings doing it, so you're going to do it too. If it's going to get you famous, you see human beings doing it, you're going to do it too. There is no separation between that. It is, it is your fault, TikTok, for allowing these type of challenges and, 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 and things to come up that people want to win. Are you winning when you do a challenge? Because I remember when challenges were like the ACLU challenge where they dumped water over your head and it was ice, the ice bucket challenge. You know, that was a challenge... That had something to it. That had some kind of end goal, you know, or, or morality to it. 
choking yourself out? To live their lives honoring their daughter. I live every day of my life in her honor because every day of my life as a mother, I'm surviving today because this is not easy to wake up every day and know that your little girl is never coming back. You're never going to hear her voice. You're never going to see her smile or hear her say, I love you. We'll be back. All right, and we're back. And if you are a crypto person, um, which I'm not, never got into it, don't know much about it, stayed away from it. Um, let's hear more about it. We gave them all our cash, and they gave us back this. And this is nothing. This is Samson Williams. He's a law professor, and he's talking about cryptocurrency. Crypto is not new. Then you see the Bitcoin drop, and then people are like, oh, see, the whole thing was a scam. Now it's internet. But Williams, who invested in crypto for five years, says the emphasis on black investment in digital currency is dangerous. This is a wealth transfer, but it's not going from the haves to the have-nots. It's going the other way. Today, according to a recent study by Charles Schwab and Ariel Investments, 25% of black Americans own cryptocurrency, compared to 15% of white Americans. And in June, crypto hit new lows, Bitcoin dropping below $23,000 for the first time since December 2020. Williams says this crypto crash disproportionately affected black Americans, 19.5% who already live below the poverty line, nearly double the national average. If you don't have the income, to invest and you don't know what investing means, what that really means is you are a prime target for being exploited. The cornerstones, at least here in America, of addressing the wealth gap are human rights, civil rights, and voting rights, because without those foundations, we can't get financial inclusion. Others, like Jefferson Noel, are less skeptical. He runs Barbershop Speaks, a program that brings panel discussions to barbershops and hair salons. Today, they discuss crypto in Miami, Philly, New York, and Orlando. You know, we typically bring in people who have a lot of, a lot of experience in crypto to come to the shop. Their audience, mostly black and brown men in their 20s to 40s. Noel, a new crypto investor, says his portfolio is not doing well, but... Markets always go up and down. That's why it's important to never invest more than you're willing to lose. And the crypto conversations span beyond barbershops, even reaching local governments. But the problem is, when you think about it, right, and you, you can look at even like the lottery and people just put their faith into things that are new and, and, and that they're hearing that people are making a lot of money from or for and from, um, especially in communities of color where they don't have the opportunities just like white people to come up, right? We don't get those loans from the banks. We are always questioned why we want a, a loan for another car, why we want this, why we want that, um, as if we aren't just like anyone else. Um, the problem is when you have these things like crypto, which I've never gotten into it because, yeah, I just don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why I never really, really got into it. But, um, 
you know, I guess guess the knowledge of not knowing how it really worked, it, it definitely made me just say hell to the no. Um, but when you're a person who hears, you know, there's and there's so many ads, right? I get messages on Facebook, messages on Instagram about how to become or how to get into crypto. And again, those things are not supervised. Those things are not unregulated, right? And you have people who are just sitting around maybe, perhaps, and they get into these things. And some people who are not, some people who are working and decide, you know what? This is something new I'm hearing about. People are making money off of it. Let me put some of my money into it and try to try to get up, come up. Then they get taken. There's a lady who's wanted currently by the FBI for getting over $2 billion in crypto scam. An Indian woman who's wanted by the FBI right now for a crypto scheme that has uh, raised her, her pockets $2 billion. And when he's saying this, he was literally, um, he was holding a dollar in one hand and then this in the other hand was nothing. Yeah, you got to do your research. I, I never got into crypto because I didn't have the time to think about what the hell is going on and what, you know, I'm putting money into, you know, money, especially money. That's money to play with, essentially, to me. Okay, that's not money that you should take from your check if you're going to check the check and put into, put into it. But when you are a person who is vulnerable to wanting more and wanting more for your family and wanting more for your life and does not have the food and, and, and things of that nature and you get a check and you're like, you know what, I heard about cryptocurrency, blah, blah, blah. You're going to try because many of us try anything to get better. That's why a person like that Indian woman who was wanted by the FBI, she got away with scamming millions of people or thousands of people out of $2 billion. Um, the next story we're going to get into is, uh, again, from uh, Sky News Australia, um, which I was surprised of, uh, of them talking about this. Um, there is apparently a deafening media silence on global protests, and that's one thing. I think that, you know, even when you talk about the protests of 2020 and a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests, that people actually think that around the world there are not protests going on and that there are not people who also disrupt things in, 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 in the honor of things getting better. environmental 
of economic incentives has grown in recent years, happily, so too has the pushback. We've seen it in growing protests over the past weeks from farmers across Europe. The overthrow of the Sri Lankan government, which, remember, wanted to turn the whole island into an organic paradise. <laughs> and even as far back as a surprise vote, at least for the elites, in favor of Brexit and for Donald Trump in 2016. Now, this guest, I'm so excited that he's come to join us tonight, Ralph Schollhaber, is an assistant professor in economics and political science at Webster University in Vienna, and he has written a fantastic piece on the working class revolt, and he joins us now. Professor Schollhaber, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And they do say that flattery is the highest form of intimidation, so consider me thoroughly intimidated. <laughs> in Newsweek, and one of the things that you talk about here is that there is a malaise in the West currently, and you say that ideological goals of the elites are being pursued at the expense of the lower middle class or working classes, and you see truckers in Canada rebelling against this, farmers in the Netherlands. Um, that is one thing that I do talk about, and I guess um, that, that clip is so low. Um, let me try to get on this other laptop I have here because my uh, my MacBook plays much louder than uh, than uh, my Chromebook. <laughs> um, that is one thing that that people are not talking about um, is all these truckers who are protesting and how their truck. Uh, uh, how they're how they're slowing things down around the world. Um, let me see if I can get up to that point. Negative effect on their life, but now they see this negative effect, 
and this is what I tried to put together in my piece, right? It's school policy in Virginia. It is, you know, agricultural policy in, uh, in the Netherlands. It is, you know, uh, gas prices in France. It's nuclear energy in Germany. So these things are driven by the same thing, that the people say, wait a moment, we are supposed to be democracies when we constantly vote for governments that in the end pursue goals that are interesting to, you know, those 5% of people who are very active, like you're very much in the public eye, but the other 95% are completely ignored. And I think this is the moment now, and I'm very curious how this is going to play out. I mean, the future would be something that you just mentioned, like a social conservative working class party. Like a little bit, you guys mentioned this mm. in the previous segment. You see this with Hispanics and working class blacks in the United States. They shift GOP because they say, wait a moment, they're like the progressive, they are in some areas, like they're insane. This is no longer common sense. They just want to switch to a common sense party. And I think this is exactly what we see at the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I'm not going to go further with that. Um, there is a, a, a lot of I mean, I, I think I preach a lot of common sense on this show um, about what goes on and, and, and whatnot. I don't think that we need to run away from making the planet more green or um, organic. I think that there's just too many hands in the pot, too much money being exchanged behind our backs that we don't ever see where, like I said, uh, I think I've said on the show plenty of times about like even water, right? There, <clears throat> I did a study on um, PFAS, which is um, chemicals that are allowed in our water. And um, I found that there were 24 different chemicals in the water that was in the area that I lived in New Jersey. And that's not to say that it's worse than other places. It's definitely worse than other places. You think about like Newark, New Jersey and uh, Flint, Michigan. Uh, water where people are getting sick, you know, there's a lot of things being allowed in this country that we don't really talk about, and um, a lot of people and a lot of money is being ex exchanged at the behest of the people. Um, look into it yourselves. Um, there's a reason why there's truckers around the country who are doing blockades and, and, and they're upset about the way they're being treated. Um, you know, workers, Amazon workers who are going against Amazon for the way work conditions are, UPS, all that. We talked about the UPS driver earlier who passed out. Um, it's everywhere where the working class people are being forgotten in favor of the upper class. Um, the last thing we're going to talk about, can you believe it? It's the end. Um, <laughs> um, I wanted to play this. I've not seen it. Um, but I want to, I want to react to it with you. Um, this is the day police dropped a bomb on Philadelphia. There is a small war underway on a street in Philadelphia tonight.
no justification for what they did. They done burn up two blocks. Explain that. I never imagined. Did not just talk about how they used to burn down cities. You know, you talk about how, you know, white fragility and, and what they do. How these guys would go around and burn down entire neighborhoods filled with minority people. And this video, it seems to be talking about something that happened in maybe the very early 90s or very late 80s. That the government would drop a bomb on a row house in Philadelphia. It's an embarrassment to the city of Philadelphia. My name is Ramona Africa, and I was there when the police dropped a bomb on me and my family May 13th of 1985 and killed 11 of my family members. I was there. Mm. Now, if you want, this is on YouTube. Um, if you want to put it on right now and watch it with me, go ahead. Pause this for a second and um, we can watch it together. Um, it's called The Bay Police Dropped a Bomb on Philadelphia. I was there. Um, it's by Vice, one of my favorite news uh, organizations. Um, give you a second or three, two, one category close. No. Um, all right. If you're going to watch it with me, watch it with me. If not, I'll just listen along. We'll react and listen together. I was born and raised in West Philadelphia. I went to Temple University and I was headed to law school. But after I met Move, I wanted to be a revolutionary. Move is a revolutionary organization founded by John Africa that believes in revolution, not in fighting and bloodshed, but truth. Revolution. And that's me. I believe in revolution. In 1979, I was listening to what was happening with Move and could not believe that the cops were attacking Move the way they were. Until today, there was a house in Philadelphia filled with people who for years confounded everybody. They called themselves Move and never said what that meant. They tried to live in the city as if it were the forest. Ignoring modern plumbing, trash collection, or rat control, they offended the neighbors first, and then the city, which ordered them out last year. Today, the city went to move them. As firemen crawled forward with a water hose, shots rang out. Mm. Nine were nine of our sisters and brothers who were arrested unlawfully for the murder of a police officer, and given a 30 to 100 year sentence. Last December, nine MOVE members went on trial for the death of Officer Ram. Everybody knew that MOVE did not kill a cop because MOVE was in the basement. Officer James Graham was standing up on street level and the media said he was shot on a downward angle. So there's no way that MOVE could have shot him. And we need to be very clear when we talk about these things. Um, the government has killed many black revolutionaries. Um, in fact, um, 
I mean, if you look at movies, jeez, uh, just slipped my mind just now. Um, there's many movies about um, the government, FBI. I mean, the FBI killed uh, Malcolm X. Um, Martin Luther King, um, many, 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 many black leaders who have been murdered at the hands of this government to stop uh, black people from feeling empowered and from feeling like they should be free and be able to move amongst the people just like everyone else. Um, from the from the start of time, we've been held down. But from and, and I said this recently to um, I, I told you guys I went to a, a stop the violence uh, organization thing, and there was a gentleman who got up and he said, you know, he didn't know why black families were falling apart and. He couldn't understand why these things happened. And, and you know, I sent to, to another gentleman, another pastor who was there, you know, I think it's really sad that he doesn't know that I'm younger than him. And I know that mass incarceration started in the 80s, that they started taking black men away from their families, started to, um, you know, they even say push the feminine, feminism uh, thing with black women so that black women would feel as though they didn't need black men. Um, going through and arresting black men for crimes that they didn't do or very small petty crimes that white people have been able to get away with. Um, and I say white people because they're the ones who are, who are in power and they are the ones who push down these 30 to 100 year sentences. You know, how can nine people kill one cop, right? You gotta think about that. If you wanna be like, you know, someone goes to jail for it, fine. But nine people didn't kill one person, no matter what. And nine people shouldn't have gotten 30 to 100 year sentences for killing one cop if they even did it, which, you know, she's saying that they did. Also, from her evidence and talking about it, the cop was shot from a, a downward angle, and the people that she's talking about were in a basement. Doesn't make sense, but if you are a Blue Lives Matter person, you will say, just be lawful, just comply. And I always say that white people do not care about police until it's involving black people. They wear their hair in dreadlocks because they reject cones as symbols of industrialization, which their back-to-nature philosophy opposes. Well, that's racist as fuck. Their basic goal is to overthrow the present system of government, which they consider to be corrupt. People thought Luke was crazy at that I mean, time. can you imagine? That, that was literally... I mean, this is on the news. This, this news reporter just said that on the news and then pushed it out to millions of people in the 80s. That we have dreadlocks because we reject cones. Do you know how much product I put into my hair? Do you know how much I take care of my I just told y'all that my hair was glorious. I told y'all that in, in, in the first hour. <laughs> I told y'all. Um, 
and in, in actuality, religiously, if you want to, or, or spirituality-wise, um, black men or men, period, I guess, um, should not cut their hair. And um, locking it actually protects our hair while it grows. Um, so that's just one thing. And obviously, this uh, newscaster is um, clearly on the side of racism. He caused the media. They spew out obscenities when they talk. Terrible language. Rizzo. And, and then you, you, you have the black people that fall for it. I mean, you got to know that if you are, you know, the only people that are not allowed to say that they have Stockholm Syndrome are black people. Black people have Stockholm Syndrome, and it's something that we have not talked about. It's something that no one will recognize because then it will be able to say, you know, yeah, black people are deserving of, like, reparations and things. If you have a group of people who were taken, beaten, raped, pillaged, called niggers for hundreds of years, and then they start using the word out of endearment to each other? How is that not Stockholm Syndrome? You have black people who don't even like black people. You have black people who don't even like the color of their skin. How is that not Stockholm Syndrome? Tell me. you hate on nature? How could you hate people who want to be naturists? Is that the word? How could you call them bizarre? These commissioner got on a loudspeaker and said, attention move. This is America. You had 15 minutes to come out. Well, Obviously, we didn't come out because we knew they wanted to kill us. They didn't want to arrest us. They could have done that anytime. It was shortly before 6 a.m. when police moved in with tear gas and water cannon to evict members of the extremist group MOVE. 
extremist group. This is what they always do to black people who want to revolutionize other black people. But when it's white supremacy, there's no kind of, there's really no kind of targeting. Like I said, there is no law against racism. There is no law against what systemically that white people or people of white people of power have put on black people and uh, people of color. It's really black people. Um, you know, Asians don't have to worry about this. Um, Hispanics do um, when <laughs> they're in the way of, of white people or white people of power. Um, but it's really against black people. And systemically, that's where we are. In the basement, for a while, we didn't feel anything. And then the water start coming down on us. I mean, rushing down on us. What we intended to do was to create a diversion on the roof of the move compound. It was hard to breathe. Our children were soaking wet. And then they started with the tear gas. Tear gas started coming in. We got the blankets and they was wet and they came over our heads and started laying down. They blew a hole in the house to the left of us to try to come through it to come after us. What we wanted them to do was to come out of the front of 10,000 rounds, then drop the bomb on them. Remember, this is America. This is not uh, Afghanistan or anywhere else. And then you allowed the buildings that were very close together, if you're watching this like I am, 
to burn for over an hour. You allowed it to burn for over an hour, desecrating an entire community. But then you say, well, why can't the blacks just do better? Why can't they get off their feet and stop getting help, even though white people have more um, financial aid, uh, white people have more uh, food stamps, housing. You get more than everyone else. But this is what they say about black people, and this is what they say about brown people. And these people of power push this idea to other white people so that they continue the racism in this country. Tonight, it is unknown exactly how many MOVE members may have escaped the blaze, or how many, perhaps, were trapped inside. We all decided we was coming out, and we were bringing the children out of the house and hollering to the police, we're coming out, we're bringing the children out. And their response was gunshots. Bertie was right behind me. So when I decided to come out, I grabbed him. And that's how we both got out of that house, that blazing inferno. Police grabbed me and arrested me and put handcuffs on my arms, even though I was burnt. And they grabbed Bertie and put him in a police van and took him away. I never saw him again. Oh my God. In the hospital, I was looking for the rest of my family to come in, and nobody. Oh my came God, her arm is completely burnt. If you see this, her arm is completely burned, and they're taking her to the hospital, but she's in handcuffs still, and her child is gone. I mean, and that's when I knew some of my family at least were dead. Philadelphia police this morning continue searching for more bodies in the burned rubble of a West Philadelphia neighborhood. One by one, more bodies of MOVE members were found in the rubble of their fortress home. The toll now higher than most had expected. Five children and six adults. Nobody was ever arrested for the murder of my family. Nobody went to jail but me. I was arrested. I was the only one put on trial for arson, conspiracy, everything that they did, they charged me with. Wow. The jury found me guilty. I was sentenced to 16 months to seven years. So I did the whole seven years. Wow. I haven't been back to Osage Avenue since May 13th of 85. It was 61 or so houses burned. It was damaged to the core. The people that lived on here took a while to come back. Some of them never came back. City taxpayers spent $33 million to rebuild the houses. The homes that was rebuilt, they had sinking foundations they got leaky roofs. The electricity was messed up. They look like project houses. Mm -hmm. They do. Today, I still have the burn scars from May 13th. 
of uh -huh. 85. And some people have told me, you should get cosmetic surgery. They can take that off. And I'm saying, why would I want to take it off? I want to be reminded. Uh -huh. Our significance today is the consistent example of move. Keep fighting, no matter what, because people can look at move and say, I don't want to be in jail for 30 or 40 years. I don't want to die. I don't want to have a bomb dropped on me. But the thing is, you can die any day of the week mm -hmm. in this country being killed by police. People ought to take the lesson from me and stand up for what is right. As long as we can fight, we're going to fight. All right, y'all. This was, uh, I've got questions. I'll see you next time.